Welcome to What the Hex, your source for Warhammer Underworlds in under 30 ways to remove a head. Tonight I'm your host, Phil, and joining me are my two supporters in execution, Skylar and Josh. How you doing, guys? Doing well. Still got my head attached. Mine too. Yeah, great. Oh my Good. god, we have so much in common. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't crossed Nagash too recently. All right, well, for uh, folks who haven't guessed already, tonight we are going to be talking uh, some headsmen, and specifically, we're going to do a live deck build. Um, Haven't done one of these in a while, uh, so for folks who are not familiar, uh, this is where we basically build a deck live here on the channel, and uh, we're going to just do it from the top, build it out, and come up with a deck that we will then be playing in the near future um but we have a few topics to hit before we get there uh also some context to make sure you know when we're recording it is currently june 25th and the void cursed and starter sets came out i guess it's about a week ago now guys do you have any community shout outs anything related to those new uh products anything uh going on in the community that you want to let people know about I would just like to give a shout out to our local community. I still love you guys. I just started a new job recently and it's taking a lot of my time and headspace. I promise I'm not leaving you. I'll be back soon. Good to hear. Skylar, I think uh, you you just did something pretty cool, right? Yeah. Um, I'll shout out the Vassal Brawl um, circuit, tournament circuit. Um, what they've done is they've essentially turned... Um, like a two day tournament into a um, like event that occurs over time where they try to get as many people in on four different days, um, 16 people's top, uh, 16 people top. So each one of these um, qualifier days is what they call them. Uh, and so for each of the four qualifiers of a vassal brawl, um, there's going to be three rounds of um, best of three championship play. And the at the end of the three rounds, there's going to be two players um, whose records um, kind of um, are above the rest, but not necessarily um, having competed against each other directly. Uh, they don't need a decisive winner because uh, what they do is the top two players receive an invite to the invitational. And so you kind of end up with this really cool like um, tournament feel that um, feels inclusive because they aim for four different days for the qualifiers, different time zones to try to get people around the globe um, to join up. And then once, you know, all four of the qualifiers are done, the invitational happens. Um, And um, from memory, I believe those matches end up getting scheduled like on a weekly basis instead of on a single day to make sure that uh, it continues to be something that can fit within people's schedules. Um, so really, really cool event, cool way to, you know, take what would traditionally be like a two day tournament and make sure you can get as much participation as possible. And uh, I played in one of those this morning. Uh, it's the third ever Vassal Brawl. Uh, and it was the third qualifier for the Vassal Brawl. Uh, and I was fortunate enough to take second this morning. Attaboy. Um, Thanks. Uh, with Miari's Pingifiers, uh, Redux. So. Yeah. <laughs> Running it back. Uh, a cool deck and a job well done getting into that. Thanks. I'm excited for the Invitational. Yeah. 
uh, it should be it should be fun it, it is like you said it's a really cool tournament format um it is some of the best players in the world probably so um definitely high level competition um for anybody who's wanting to test themselves that's definitely a good way to do so um i'm nervous i, f- I feel like i'm gonna get <laughs> shredded apart <laughs> invitational day <laughs> well uh hey you made it this far so yeah, I feel like you've got as good a chance as anybody else. Appreciate that. All right. So that's some community shout outs. We kind of know what's going on with Skylar. Uh, Josh, anything the heck's going on with you? Just trying to, uh, if you'll pardon the pun, keep my head on straight. Yeah, yeah. No, we 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 definitely pedal in puns here. Uh, unless Davey's here. Um yeah, I, I feel that as well. I have also not really been as able to be a part of our local groups and league as I would like. Um, but I have, in the time that I haven't been able to play, I've I've been undergoing a fairly substantial uh, hobby room reorganization and cleanup, which has felt good, although a little bit crazy because it's like, take out everything and reorganize and the the room is a disaster at the moment trying to get everything organized but should be good when it's all done that is infamously my favorite way to clean and there are many people (laughs) in my life that have lived with me uh family obviously included that um consider that like a hallmark of mine uh and they always make fun of it (laughs) that i like pull it pull everything out and decide what goes back in where yeah, well, it, it's one of those things where I hadn't been keeping things well organized. So it's like everything's kind of been haphazardly placed to the point where it got like unmanageable. So it was like, all right, now everything needs to go back where it's supposed to be, which means I need to take all the things that are where they're not supposed to be down <laughs> so yep. I can actually put things in the right place. And it's yeah, yeah, definitely chaotic. It's very relatable. I too am a must get worse before it gets better kind of cleaner. Yep. Yep. There's only only one way through this. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, unless there's anything else, let's get on to the main topic as these tend to be fairly uh, intensive. Um, any final comments before we move on? Let's roll. Ooh, let's get after it. All right. So as I mentioned, we are today building a deck for the Headsman's Curse, a uh, relatively new warband, um, and one that I think is, at least in flavor, a huge win. Uh, we will be building for championship today. Um, we are working our way towards a upcoming uh, Madtown Throwdown, one of our local tournaments, where we will be using the championship format, so it felt apt to build in that same format. Um Guys, how are you feeling about Headsman's Curse? Uh, what, where do you think that they stand? Do you think their play style fits best? Um, yeah, general feelings. Let's throw them out. Generally speaking, my overall vibe with the uh, uh, Headsman's Curse is that they are going to be potentially a rather frustrating warband if you just have a really bad dice day but that's that can be any aggro band um but maybe more so them 
because they want to tee up a really important swing. And then, you know, again, we're just rolling with the puns here. Execute on that swing. <laughs> so I I think that's going to be the name of the game and trying to find objectives that fall in line with that uh, kind of mission. Sure. Skylar, anything you want to add? Yeah, I want to echo that what little I've seen so far of the headsman's curse, I've seen uh, like an element of swinginess because they have to get, you know, uh, I mean, they can do it in one, right? One kill if it's perfect um, to get inspired, but they're not inspiring you generally unless they, you know, have successfully gotten two kills minimum. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that can be really difficult to get the heads rolling. I mean, the ball rolling. Um, and <laughs> um, I also can't figure out how I would play them. Um, so I want to play them. Like, I want to propose that, like, they would be best played counterpunch. But I think it's difficult to incentivize the enemy to come to you unless that's already their game plan. So... You know, you have to be prepared. Like, if, if you're going to play Counterpunch and you're going to try to play a game of have them come to you, uh, which I think is where they're going to excel, yeah, then you also have to be prepared to flip the script and run into enemy territory and take down um, somebody playing passively or, you know, whether that be a hold build or something unique to them. Yeah. Um, I certainly feel that thought of, like, I don't quite know what I want to do with these guys. Um, on their face, they feel very aggressive, and I think you could build them as pure aggro, and you just sort of charge in and do, um, you know, big swings with the executioner. Um, but I do agree; it, it feels risky. Like, what if your dice don't work out? Then you've put a lot of eggs in one basket, um, and maybe that won't work out. Uh, I was trying to see as I was prepping for this. Like, how could a flex build work with these guys? Is there some way that you can force someone to come to you if you're, you know, holding some objectives? But ultimately, uh, you know, a lot of their stuff in faction doesn't really support that. So my my sort of eventual landing place is probably pretty aggro with maybe some passive scoring built in that, you know, you can score on your way into enemy territory. Uh, which is something we've seen a lot of, you know, aggro warbands with their insurance plans. Yeah. Kind of feels where they're at for me anyway. Sam, um, I'm definitely leaning flex with them. I think if you try to just rush into enemy territory out the gate, um, you're going to run into a couple problems. If you run in with the wielder too early, well, then he's going to start soaking up damage and you risk losing him far, far too early for your game plan. True. Um, or, you know, like round one, you've got four fighters, so you're not likely getting a charged out action. Um, I mean, uh, unless you can count on, you know, what fighter is going to drop, right? But if that yep. f- the, the fighter that is killed has already been charged, well, then, you know, you're not getting... So generally round one, I don't think you're really seeing charged out, so you're not going to be able to take advantage of that. So you, you might only have, you know, one charge out of the wielder versus, you know having the pushes that you need to get him where you want him. Um, and they do have access to a lot of pushes. So 
I think you got to lean on that for sure as the overall game plan. But um, so uh, speaking to the two problems that I think you have invading, you know, one, the wielder already said uh, the other is if you run it with the scripter or the sharpener, um, they're just really vulnerable um, and they, and they can't do too much. They can't put down too much damage um, as, as they stand, right? The sharpener is dealing one damage on two swords. If he's lucky, he's got two health to his name. So, you know, anything slips through and he's going down. Um, and then the scripter on three and one dodge, like yeah. that's, that's as bad as, um, but generally worse than an elf profile, right? Until <laughs> he, he can get inspired. Yeah. Um, so I just feel like, you know, those two come in early. There's a good chance you're losing them. You can always lean into resurrection. Um, but, uh, you know, on the flip, if you're running in with the wielder before, you know, uh, you should, um, then your game plan's in danger. Absolutely. So we kind of know some of their weaknesses, some of the things we're building around um, for their game plan. Uh, what are, without getting too in the weeds here, at a high level, where do we see the competition in championship? Um, I don't, I don't want to be like all these warbands and like go through a full list, but like generally, what are we planning around? So I think with the um, emergence of, oh man, the name is, uh, of the card is going to escape me instantly. Um, there's a new hold two for three glory. Is it claim the prize? It is. That uh, it is. Yeah. So with claim the prize entering the scene, I think we're seeing a resurgence of hold strat right now. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's, uh, extremely meta relevant, especially with sepulchral guard coming out and excelling at it. Yep. Uh, and then, um, pandem- uh, pandemonium and Domiton storm coven are on everybody's minds with, um, how recent their releases are, how, you know, fun, um, they are and, and how competitive those decks are. Yeah. So, so you'd say, I guess there's a lot of hold, there's some yeah. magic and some flex play. Um, are we expecting to see a lot of counter aggro where like we'd be aggro on aggro? I think Ripa's is always a step away from the conversation of aggro. They have a really strong aggro kit and they really live or die by the dice, but good God, when those dice hit, (laughs) they hit like a truck. Sure. So I think we'd be doing them a disservice by not at least bringing them up. Um, I don't know if Gnarl Spirit Pack are still ugly in the scene with aggro, but uh, their their taste definitely still hasn't left my mouth from when they emerged. <laughs> sure, sure. I mean, they, they've still got good profiles, right? Um, the restricted cards definitely hurt them, but uh, I, I, would, I would agree. I think there's something there, um, something I haven't heard mentioned yet but i feel like there's a lot of ping right now um yes yes (laughs) so even if you're not like necessarily aggro in the sense of charges you can put out a lot of damage from your power deck so i feel like that's something to be aware of right now um so i think not to get too bogged down in this discussion but i think we can say there's a lot of sort of flexible damage there's hold objective strategies either leaning very heavily towards hold 
or flexing into some hold and you know a, a pretty you know broad spectrum of strategies but they all have some shared tenets of like we're using power deck to deal damage we're able to hold objectives for some high scoring cards and generally the name of the game is no longer charge into enemy territory um at least not initially i concur yeah with that backdrop let's get into this so i think it's always good to start with building our deck from the objectives and knowing that we have something of a bent towards aggro let's see what objectives we think make sense to include here so surges i think are also <laughs> uh usually more more important to land uh initially just figure out where where are we with surges before we decide end phase are there any surges that you feel are absolute must takes we have to have them in the deck so I tend to favor the uh, warband specific surges uh, and not just the surges, but I tend to look at what the warband wants to do by itself first. Yep. Uh, so just the ones that I saw that were at least very enticing were quick to judge and eager assistant. Sure. You want to just read them out quick so people know yeah, what those so are? so quick to judge, first off, is score this immediately. If there is a surviving friendly leader and two or more enemy fighters each have a condemned counter. And then an eager assistant, score this immediately after a second or subsequent successful supported attack action made by friendly fighters in the same phase. Okay. Skylar, any thoughts? Yeah, so uh, in preparation, you know, looking at their card pool here, uh, I had Quick to Judge called out as my favorite surge for them. Like, I think it's the best one in line with um, their natural game plan. Like, I think this is the um, the card that you're going to... Every, every one of their decks is going to bring this, I think. Um, sure. Because it, you don't need any successful attacks to make those condemned counters happen. You can have the scripter three away from somebody, you know, and point them down because um, that doesn't rely on a success. Um, little card play um, can can get you that uh, final one too. And you're sur- hopefully your leader's surviving. Like, I think that this is just a really yeah. strong card for them. Yeah. I mean, if your leader's dead, I think you're in, in trouble anyway. So I would agree. Uh, I also <laughs> had this one on my short list. I think we can safely add this to the deck. Quick to judge feels very strong. Um, you know, and I did not actually have eager to serve or eager assistant or eager, eager assistant. to serve. Did, yeah. did you have eager assistant? Skylar? I did. I did not. I, um, I dropped it from consideration due to the fact that it requires two, um, supported attacks. And I just didn't know, um, uh, I just didn't want to lean on that. Right. Um, it's a lot of setup and, and they have to be successful. So I'd rather lean on uh, like the easier support surge in my mind is bound in servitude. I think this is going to be a staple we see from them too. Uh, a friendly chain rasps attack action takes an enemy fighter out of action or uh, a friendly fighter's attack action takes an enemy fighter out of action and one or more friendly chain rasps supported that attack action. So we're getting this. Um, yeah, it has to kill, 
which I suppose Eager Assistant doesn't have to do, but we're getting this off of one setup uh, and success potentially. Yeah. Um, so I, I had bound in servitude on my shortlist. I also was hesitant about having two successful supported attacks in a single phase. Um, it, it is reminiscent. There's a card in, um, reavers that is actually a surge for two that you had to make three successful attacks, which is a bit more of an ask than two supported, but, um, tended to be a very frustrating card and my gut was like this is going to be the same thing um and it was going to be difficult josh do you have any uh rebuttals to either of our thoughts on eager assistant yeah so my my initial takeaway was hesitation so don't don't get it twisted that i was super thrilled with this card okay um the biggest thing that drew me to it was it's a two glory surge Sure. Yeah. And it falls in line with what they want to do anyway. So there are there is a lot of tech in their kit that is either giving uh, supports or moving into position to be supporting. Uh, first two that come to mind are a literally a ploy that is you know you have one supporting off the rip can't think of it off the top of my head but i'm sure we'll get to it in further discussion and the other was uh a reaction ploy where you could react to a move and move to be in supporting position sure yep so knowing that there was that and that there's other support tech in the universal pool i was a little less hesitant uh especially since it wasn't necessarily a kill surge. It was just, hey, you need to pick on two weak targets and make two successful attacks, which uh, I'll I'll grant you is a little more ASCII. But as I was looking through the others, I was not as I was not as keen on kill surges as opposed to just successful attack surges. Yeah, um, and I, I definitely feel the support piece of their game plan making a lot of sense um so i i definitely was thinking okay this is a possibility but then like i said gut feel was uh it's risky um i'm not entirely opposed to it because i i think it's a card that if you plan to take it you will be spending power uh both uh probably in gamut and upgrade to support it um i don't think you take it um, without power support. I would agree with that. I think, I think you're definitely wanting to support it a lot. If you, if you go that direction, you are going that direction very hard. Um, and I think that's something we could do. Um, it leans that aggro strategy almost instantly, which is another reason I kind of avoided it myself. Sure. In my considerations. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we can add it as like, you know, because um, when we have six of these, um, I assume we don't quite stop. We kind of get to like that seven, eight and then tune down. Yes, yes, of course. So I think I was going to say the same thing. Let's put it as a maybe ah, and then we'll keep going. 
And we'll see once we get to, you know, seven or eight of these and we're feeling like, hey, these are the ones we want. Uh, does it still fit? Yeah. Uh, um, and for, th for those deck builders out there, uh, that is how um, I operate uh, when I deck build in general is I'll kind of uh, create what I imagine my search pool might be. Um, and then I um, dive into like power and see if, how I can support it. And then that will ultimately help me tune out um, a few cards. Absolutely. On that note, what was the other one that you guys were hot on? We can always add that to the list and yeah, do the uh, same. Bound in Servitude. Yeah, this is Kill Surge. Um, we have supporting Chain Rasp or... You or the change get the kill with the chain rasp, which yeah. <laughs> I don't know how you I know, feel about that. Maybe, but yeah. um, I I think it's still I think both modes are doable, and I think uh, there's actually some ways that you could use like weapons or something to make first mode fairly doable too. So, um, not to jump straight out of their um, own surge pool, but while we're on the topic of support. Um, I would like to bring up Loyal Allies. Uh, it's a card I've uh, quite fallen for in the championship format uh, because it doesn't require a successful attack, and I think it does work really well with their support play as well. Um, so, uh, And I've got some other justifications for it down the line too, but um, it is a friendly fighter's attack or defense role, and I really like that flexibility here, um, included one or more single or double support icons it doesn't actually call them out as support successes we're just looking for the icons on the dice and uh one or more of those symbols was a success so it's not saying support had to get it for you like um from a defense standpoint you could be in cover um you could have some sort of upgrades on you that grant you um, those facings as successes sure. um so, so you've got a little flexibility to score it on the defense side um especially with uh, i think this team so it kind of ends up feeling a little bit like contest of equals with the right fuel um, because you're going to get more shots at it than um, just the offensive shots. Uh, that's a good call, call out. Uh, they do actually have a upgrade that works um, with that as well. So I, I actually like that one a lot. Um, how do you feel, Josh? It was on my short list too. So All I'm right. happy to include it. There nice. There's one in. Um, so so we're already starting to see kind of a theme here of doing some of the support stuff. Uh, one that I think also lends itself well and maybe is just a strong card in general um, is gather a crowd. Uh, so this Agreed. is score this immediately after an activation step. If there are three or more friendly fighters within two hexes of the same enemy fighter, um, that's a lot easier to do than it feels sometimes. Um and if you play enough push tech, I think you can manufacture this without much difficulty. Uh, what are you guys' thoughts on this one? So I considered this one, and my only hesitation was it required three fighters to be alive. So Which, once you get to round two, can be kind of an ask. So I'm pretty hot on this one. Um, and to j leap straight off of that, if this was uh, your typical um, four-fighter warband, not in the Death Alliance, um, I would uh, concur wholeheartedly. This would be a no-go for me. Um, but the fact that you know the wielder can resurrect on his own, and you can bring 
um, the Infaction Resurrection, as well as the Death Grand Alliance one, um, it um, becomes a card that's really attractive uh, to me because I, th- I think you can generally rely on three fighters at least through round two, um, and I, I think that's that's long and or you know far enough for a surge. Yeah, and and that was my thinking with this one as well. Um, I mean, one you can use push tech to make it happen, and if you're bringing resurrection stuff to support additionally beyond what the warband can do themselves, um, I actually do think that the chances of keeping three of your four fighters isn't too bad. Um, so that was my take. I think. Um, Definitely, definitely hear the concern of like, hey, you might run out of fighters to score this, and that is potentially a problem. But I think this one seems on paper strong enough that we should try it before we don't include it. You know, the thing that I hadn't considered while I was uh, while I was rocking this one was the uh, uh, the actual ability that Terminus has, which. Uh-huh is to summon immediately adjacent to that fighter. Mm-hmm. I had it in my head that the resurrection, most of the gambits are going to be in your territory. So that's that's where my hesitation was. But if you are bringing things back with the headsman, you're probably going to be within hexes of you know other enemy fighters. So... I'm I'm a little more hot on this one. We won him over, Phil. Yeah, uh, I think I think we can still leave this one as like a, a maybe mark, but I think I'm leaning. I'm feeling pretty solid about it. I think this is a, a nice one that doesn't require any dice rolling. Um, on the topic of more of their in-house surges, um, I think off with their head is such a fun. <laughs> card to the point where like I'm just tempted to run it because I think it's a blast and like you know get a kill with your leader you want to do that hope like you you're doing a lot to make that happen already yes it's another kill surge um but they are at, at, like I they're they're pretty aggro in identity right um so I think the fact that it also offers you the chance at an additional glory for taking their leader down um, makes it, uh, I don't know, maybe a tad greedy, but uh, definitely attractive. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I think that it's it's certainly a solid option. Um, I think if we want to lean into getting a lot of kills with uh, the wielder, then it is like you said, it, it gives you that extra flex. So it can go to a two glory surge, which is really nice. Um, I don't have any problem with including it. Um, I think, I think by the nature of this warband, you're going to have at least one kill surge and that doesn't seem like a bad one to include your other options of kill surges would be things like in cold blood or death's champion. Um, obviously we already mentioned bound in servitude, which is, you know, potentially harder so uh i i don't think it's wrong to have it included josh what do you think i don't hate it i i think that is a ringing endorsement i i would want into i would want to build into 
uh, Terminus being just an absolute monster that you cannot bring off the table. Like, I would want to build more defensively and offensively, just basically making him a brick house before even considering that one because yeah he he's already pretty chunky and he wants to do kills but Mm -hmm. yeah i think sort of the the supporting point to that one though is like if you're not getting kills with him who are you getting kills with valid uh it's a little bit like Molog where it's sort of like, is there really much chance that you're, you know, getting kills with anybody else? Uh, and I think ultimately the answer to that is probably sometimes, but not often. Yeah, fair. I mean, I'm still, it is a fighter specific kill surge and I'm, I'm always pretty hesitant on those. I agree. Um, certainly not a huge fan of them, although I do think it will be tough to find a lot of strong surges for this particular warband that don't require your leader. Um, I I would say let's put it in as a also sort of marked as a maybe, which I know we've now got a few <laughs> in that same vein. Um, but it, it feels like it has a lot of upside. So if we're, if we're already feeling like we want to sort of swing for the fences, kind of gamble a little bit, um, I don't think it's a wrong choice to include. Cool. Yeah. And I mean, this is, uh, the process, right? We'll, we'll get a few, get a good few maybes out there, get a cleaner picture as, as we get further down the deck, um, to that end. Uh, a few staples that we see in championship uh, in the surge pool um, are branching fate yep. and contest of equals. Now, um, I think uh, for obvious reasons, uh, we'll leave branching fate at home. But those who aren't familiar with championship or branching fate, um, let me highlight that real quick. That is, uh, I was going to do it from memory, but let me just punch it in. Here we are. Um, it, so score this immediately after an attack action. If you roll three or more dice uh, during the attack or defense roll, and they all show a different symbol. So normally you'll see this on warbands who have um, three attack dice um, in their inherent opening stats. Um, and it becomes a, a pretty popular and reliable uh, surge in that area. We only have two uh, attack dice on all of our opening stat lines, though. So we're, we're going to leave this one at home. Yep. Um, but uh, until we know what our restricted slots are going to look like, um, I recommend us tossing contest of equals into our maybe slots because it is annoyingly reliable until it isn't. Um, <laughs> and so yeah. for those who don't know, this is score this immediately after a failed attack action. If the attack roll and the defense roll contain the same number of successes, uh, including critical successes. So even if your opponent um, is the one performing the attack, uh, if it fails due to the fact that you both rolled, um, you know, one success each, or you know, so or even no successes, very commonly no successes on either side of the line, this will score. 
It's very strong. Um, I think I think you're right. It, we'd be remiss not to at least put it in to start and see where we end up with our restricted slots. Um, I will say we haven't gotten there yet, but a lot of the death faction uh, power cards are restricted. So that might be something that limits us, but I think we'd be remiss to not include this at least initially. Uh, at this point, we've got a, a decent number. I, I only had a couple other things even included on my shortlist. And uh, if we were to include one of them, that would start to lock us in uh, from a plot card perspective. Um, one that I have often seen work out much better than it seems on paper is toyed with. Um, just happen to end up having somebody be vulnerable and then you can score this which is surprisingly easy to do sometimes uh but that puts us in tooth and claw how how do you guys feel about that into tooth and claw interesting uh so this opens up the plot conversation and i know next we'll start diving into end phase um and uh, right now um i don't know about you guys but when i'm building a championship deck in general um, I'm having much more luck um, finding the surges I want to run um, than the end phases. And I'm finding that that leads you to like really consider what end phase cards a plot um, can, can bring into the picture for you. And so when I sat down to do some considerations for the Headsman's Curse, I looked at the end phases for our four plot locked options right now. Um, and I ended up passing on Tooth and Claw, so I didn't even consider Toyed With. I do like Toyed With. I think it's great, um, uh, and I, I like the potential inclusion here. But, um, you know, <laughs> spo- uh, as kind of like um, uh, a tease or a spoiler, no, um, I, I couldn't figure out what one I wanted to run with. Um, I, I ended up settling on Fearsome Fortress myself. Um, okay. Yeah. And so from there, you know, once I kind of figured out like, okay, these are kind of the end phases I want to um, augment in, then I was like, okay, are there any surges kind of like a back step in the process uh, that I might want from the Fearsome Fortress deck? And um, I was considering bringing in um, Earthworks. And the reason mm-hmm. for that is they have, um, they have an upgrade that we will talk about by name later that after an attack uh, can grant you a on guard token. And so I was thinking to myself, one, if I have to spend an activation putting somebody on guard, like that's worth it to me. Uh, um, And two, like if I have that particular upgrade, then, you know, that could just happen for me. And then I could start leaning into things like, um, what is it? Uh, Siege machines no that's not what it's called um there's uh <laughs> there's an upgrade um it's you know the deck building process kind of ebbs and flows you know between the the columns as as you're working on it um siege master um so yeah, the reaction to put guard tokens yep which i think would be really strong on them because you know especially if you can get them inspired um you're Anytime you can change the dodge characteristic to also include the shield characteristic, that's a more meaningful on-guard benefit than the reverse um, because you're getting an additional two sides versus just an additional one. 
Um, so for them, I thought that that might be really big. And I kind of started leaning my whole like consideration for them into this counter punch where I'm going to try to maybe hold a few, hold, you know, hold two um, objectives and maybe sit on midline and kind of flirt with your positioning and make you come to me or at least have that as a launching point um, for further offensive. So um, I guess I kind of want to talk a little bit more about plot card with them right now. Sure. Um, oh, where, where do, you, do you guys land on considerations with plot cards? I had a really hard time um, trying to figure out which one I thought would fit them best. So I actually leaned away from uh, what was it toyed with for the exact same reason that Phil for that you and Phil were leaning towards off with their head, which was if you're not swinging with terminus, you're not really going to be putting people at just less than dead. You're going to be putting them at dead. Uh, That being said, I leaned more, I did lean into Tooth and Claw because of Embraced Savagery, which mm-hmm. is a significantly more easy to score surge in the later parts of the game. And you have pretty much complete control over it. Embraced Savagery is again for folks who don't. That is for the listeners. That is score this immediately after an activation if each surviving friendly fighter is savage. Mm-hmm. So. The reason I personally would keep something like Embrace Savagery out of this deck is because it dissuades you from using Terminus's um, uh, bring back uh, the blade boundary action. So um, let's say you had charged the spider uh, previous. Oh, you know what? But for an activation, I'm thinking kind of end phase. No, uh, ignore me. Uh, Embrace Savagery is good. You're you're great. I think. Uh, <laughs> Thanks for saying so. I think the only like downfall to embrace savagery is it tends to be, at least in round one, um, an end phase card, because you're not scoring it until right before the end phase. Generally speaking, um, with uh, a warband of four. I I don't disagree with that. I I do think it's fairly straightforward to do. You don't need dice, which is nice. Um, I, I don't have a problem with it. Um, I also leaned into Tooth and Claw just because I was having trouble finding something else that felt good. Um, I kind of thought that maybe you could make something work with Void Curse Thralls, but I I didn't have enough time to figure out what you would have to do um, just because that one is is very heady and I... I haven't really gotten my arms around it yet. Um, so I've been experimenting with Void Curse Thralls uh, quite a bit. And I, you know, for them, if you kind of focus on like your Inspire as not a guarantee, um, which is kind of like if you're playing Dread Pageant, like our, uh, Brian, um, he always talks about. You know, whenever anybody asks him tips on Dread Pageant, he's like, you don't inspire. Like, like do not ever build a deck around, like, with any um, hopes uh, included in the build that you will inspire, right? Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I think if you lean Void Cursed, uh, 
you're kind of doing that to yourself here a little bit, um, just sure. simply because you're you're buffing their pre like so the bearer of the block or the scripters um, defense. If you pick anybody else, you're gimping uh, their defense um, in round one, and then you know going forward, if you inspire, then you have your kind of like sacrificial lamb um, to give you access to void cursed. So you have to be okay with that. You have to be okay with the fact that it's like, uh, yeah, like I'm always going to have these one or two fighters in play um, to uphold the curse. Um, and they're always going to have that defensive negative. Um, even you know, It's a boon again, you know, round one, uh, maybe even two before you can get inspired. But once you get inspired, um, you're, you're bringing somebody down um, with it. So, there, there's a lot of cool tricks in there, but I think most of what Void Curse has to offer is in the like power deck. I, I don't think it's in in your scoring. Sure. Cool. Well, <laughs> I mean, great conversation about that. I think it, it kind of makes a clear argument for not taking that one. Um, I mean, based on the discussion so far, two of us went with more aggro leaning, take tooth and claw um allow wielder to become kind of the monster that you want him to be and then the more flex option which i don't think is wrong but given given that we have two people building one direction and one person going the other way i think for tonight's purposes let's go with tooth and claw um agree if Um, you are okay with that josh I might actually be leaning the other direction. Oh, you're changing oh, your mind. Okay. So the, more, <laughs> the more we talk about uh, aggro and how much it depends on like people being alive and successful attacks to you know happen. Uh-huh. Sure. Uh, I'm I'm reminded of my time with the Gore Chosen. Yep. And early on, that was not a fun experience. Sure. And then I picked up Fearsome Fortress. And <laughs> that right. was that was more of an experience of, okay, I'm going to do the things that Fearsome Fortress want me to do, which, granted, Gore Chosen do also have baked-in tech that want them to be in No Man's Land. But being able to be in No Man's Land first and punch second was... Mm-hmm way more reliable i found sure i so fearsome fortress is my favorite plot card deck period um so i just constantly feel like i have some bias towards it so i was like yeah if if we want to embrace something different for me i'm on board (laughs) um but it's also fun to hear somebody else go oh wait a minute sure let's let's venture into that fearsome fortress and i think if we uh i think if we lean towards a uh what was what was the phrase used uh invade aggro with insurance i i'm on board with that (laughs) sure and i think that can work so um we'll let's do it let's do it we'll we'll lock it in uh we're doing fierce our uh yeah, Fearsome Fortress. Fortress. Yeah, oh, we'll lock, lock it in. Um, okay. So let's include Earthworks. Uh, and then we need to then know that our plan is to be in the middle, um, which means we are hanging out and counterpunching. That is probably a good thing because that, that gives us a direction to build towards for the rest of this deck. 
One, Agreed. one last question on that. Um, what kept you guys away from tearing Delvers? Uh, the thing that kept me away from daring Delvers is a lot of hold in enemy territory um, or have enough fighter. Like my personal feeling is daring Delvers, either you need to be leaning into the ping or you need to be leaning into being able to sort of swarm into enemy territory to take advantage of having your exploration count for those surges that need your exploration count. Um, and neither of those are present in their base deck. Yeah. I feel the same way. You uh, can't do those things. You don't, I, in my opinion anyway, you don't take Daring Delvers, and I don't think these guys have those tools. Daring Delvers is my favorite plot deck, but I don't think these guys make good use of it. No additional notes that I concur. If anyone listening strongly disagrees, please let us know. When we were talking about uh, Void Curse for a second there, I felt like... Uh, uh, Tynus uh, Von Artsen for a second, just going mad with the experimentation I've been <laughs> conducting. <laughs> All right. It's okay. Your uh, final final lab notes are coming soon. Assuming I survive. So, uh, so that, that then puts in Earthworks. Um, the only other one then that I had potentially listed as a surge, and I think then we can, should move on to end phases, uh, was carve a path, and I think that we are definitely leaning away from that um, as an option. Correct me if I'm wrong in thinking that. Yeah, I, I would agree. Okay, uh, I I say we throw it out. Um, all right, so let's let's just quickly recap what we've got for surges. We we have eight listed at the moment. Um, we've got contest of equals, staple, restricted, earthworks, solid doesn't require dice rolling uh loyal allies uh where we need supports bound in servitude where we are trying to do more support stuff eager assistant again we're doing more support stuff uh <laughs> gather crowd where we're sort of being around and actually it, this probably works fairly well with standing in the middle because your opponent will naturally be close to you um, and kind of have to come to you because if they just let you stand around in the middle without contesting it, it tends to go badly for them. Um, off with their heads, kill surge, and quick to judge, which, uh, again, we are, we are trying to just do the condemn thing, which this one seems like a no-brainer. So um, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, our, our, the ones that are currently listed as sort of our least guaranteed would be off with their head and eager assistant i'd add earthworks in there um okay. as a as a maybe so the surge department isn't necessarily what i was looking at um this for um does it look more passive scoring though it does uh i i do like it i think it's it's pretty great here but you know we can keep it in the maybe column um I suppose we could wait to thin things out until later. Uh, my my personal feeling is that when in doubt, take out kill surges. Um, there's just chances that you don't have them in hand when you need them. And it makes things smoother, I think, when you can score without getting kills. But we'll sort of see where the rest of the deck takes us. All right. Sound good? That sounds great. All right. 
end phases then. Uh, so I will say right off the bat, now that we are not in um, aggro land, I, I'm not 100% sure where we want to be. Um, but I think keeping with our uh, start, I think to Josh's point, when we started with the surges, starting with some of the infaction cards, I personally felt like um, one that felt like a good inclusion. Um, and there's multiple cards like this, but it's the infaction version is judge lest ye be judged, which is score in an end phase if each surviving friendly fighter has a move or charge token. Um, I think more often than not, you'll be at least repositioning most of your fighters um which will get you all those move tokens and in the late game these become pretty trivial because you'll have usually you know one or two fighters so my only hesitation with this one was very similar to uh skyler's hesitation earlier which was if you are leaning into any sort of resurrection that clears mm. move and charge tokens yeah that's true that's true I actually tossed it simply because so this is actually what I was trying to arrive at with um, uh, what was the uh, the savage um, embrace savagery. Uh, yeah. yeah. Tooth and claw. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Um, this, this is where I was trying to arrive at. Yep. Um, so I actually slotted this in immediately because it's very similar to uh, move or die, um, yep. which I think yep. is reliable uh, in a four in a count of a four war band or less generally. Um, but yeah, but as soon as you start throwing resurrection in the mix, uh, it becomes much less reliable. Oh, that's a good point. Then forget I said anything. Where would you guys like to start? <laughs> yeah, so uh, leaning into resurrection, um, I brought two of their end phases, both both to glory, that I think um, if we lean into a resurrection package, um, then um, are very um, uh, stable uh, or reliable. Can I guess what they are? Yeah, please. Are they all rise and tools of death? They are indeed. Um, I love them both. Would you Would you go ahead and read those for the audience? Yeah, I absolutely will. So all rise is score this in an end phase if, and it's a hybrid. So two or more friendly fighters each have one or more raise counters, or one or more friendly fighters are out of action, and one or more friendly fighters each have one or more raise counters. So it's raise two, which you know if if you're having a bad day that's not the worst thing to score two glory off of or kill one and raise one so you know not not bad i think the only thing that i'm a little stuck on is whether or not raise counters persist i have yet to find anything that says that they do and if any listeners would would like to lend a guy a hand that would be super helpful if they do persist and they stay when the fighter dies this is almost an auto include i don't think they do but um if you're bringing power support you know partial resurrection um or and we'll read these cards later um uh, they're in faction one um you know one or both of those you know Mm -hmm. save, save that right before end phase um, yeah, in, even in if even if they do clear, I think it's very enticing, especially with the right card support. But if if they don't get cleared, 
this this should be in almost every deck. Agree. Yeah, and and I think yeah. they do. But I like, think they, I think spoilers for folks at home. We we discussed this offline before uh, recording. Um, I think based on the way that the rulings on fighters being taken out of action clearing counters is in the rule book that yes in fact these would get cleared uh if you have reason to think otherwise please let us know but i think that that is how this would work but to agreed to the points made already uh every time you revive a fighter they'll be getting a raise counter so there's really no downside um i think there'd be a very little way to benefit from having the raise counters even when they're dead. So uh, I I think I think yeah. this is still strong. I, I had this one on my list. A, yeah. I think it's especially strong because it's one of those cards where if you aren't able to score it, things are going well. Fair. That's actually a, a good point. Um not something we talk about a lot, but it's sort of like, hey, if I don't score this, it means I'm probably doing what I need to. Either that or everybody's just having a giant whiff fest and nothing's happening in the game and, um, but at least then you're not the only one yeah, bad things are happening yeah, too it, it can be a little <laughs> bit problematic if they are like not hitting their attacks but holding objectives or something but i think that that's not something we can right. really worry about uh tools of death did did you already read this one off? we haven't read that out. Okay. i did not we yeah. got so excited about all rise sure <laughs> yeah uh, so this is score this in an end phase if three or more surviving friendly fighters each have one or more upgrades yeah uh, for, for two glory um if it was one glory oh my gosh you'd leave this at home but for two <laughs> um this it just seems really attractive you know um you're, you're gonna have to get some fuel ahead of it sure um but you know that could be uh two surges and a kill um, that could be, you know, just not drawing tools of death in round one. Uh, it's the type of card that, you know, when you see in your opening hand, um, you have to think about, um, if there's enough there to support it or if a mulligan is necessary. Um, but I, I think it's, you know, when it's only looking at surviving fighters and upgrades, uh, it's, it's just going to be, you know, not dice, you know, r- related and, and more reliable for you. Yeah, we've seen stuff like this in the past. Either the have one on everyone or stack three on one tend to be pretty straightforward. It tends to be hard to counterplay. Um, the, of course, only trick being they have to be surviving, but since we're planning on taking stuff to revive and their faction is inbuilt to have some ways to revive, I don't think that, that is a problem. Um, one thing that can, uh, you know, become tricky with this is if you have a lot of upgrades that you want to all go on one fighter so um we kind of have to be cognizant of not becoming a voltron build because this would be kind of a non-bow with that but i don't think that's too much of a problem i think there's a lot of generically good upgrades that we can include that you would put on just about anybody all right, well, let's put those two in for sure. Um, where where to go next? Uh, one that I... So one I couldn't decide on, and, and you guys maybe can talk me out of because I'm, I'm feeling like it's maybe not that great. 
Triumph of Death. So this is an end phase where you score it where there are one or fewer enemy surviving enemy fighters, which already feels very hard. And then there are two or more surviving friendly fighters. I think having two surviving friendly fighters isn't that unlikely given that you're able to revive. It's the one or fewer surviving to me feels risky. Uh, And it kind of in my mind makes this feel a little bit like a third end phase, but it is for three glory. So let me talk to you instead about our Lord and savior path of death. Sure. I also had that one on my list. I, I love that card way more, especially now that we're doing fearsome fortress because we can do a little bit more gatekeeping instead of, diving into aggro yep and the the only thing that jumps to mind with you know was it one or fewer surviving or two or fewer surviving enemy fighters one or fewer one or fewer is gets well you can you and i know that's just one warband in particular but that's you know that's nine bodies that have to hit or excuse me eight bodies that have to hit the floor over the course of 12 activations. You know what's actually a bigger argument against this, and I can't believe I didn't think about it sooner. Triumph of Death shouldn't be taken because people will run warbands with revive. Exactly. I was just... Uh, Like, exiles that exist. Triumph of Death shouldn't ever be taken. I don't know what I was thinking. Nope, that's all right. I I was... Yeah. (laughs) Between body counts and people that have multiple bodies to count, it's, it's rough. Yeah, so I don't think you should ever limit your build um, on one warband unless you're confident you're going to see them at whatever event you're bringing a deck to, right? Um, yeah, but there's multiple um, but, warbands that can revive, so... Right, right, exactly. I was So with Triumph of Death, um, it's not just, um, you know, one with Revival, like you just said, but um, it's also just a big ask with Swarm uh, in general. Mm-hmm. And I think we're seeing, you know, Swarm hold... Um, really really come back right now so yeah um cool uh skylar what are your thoughts on path of death then path of death uh i don't have much experience with it i looked at it and i thought to myself "Ooh, three glory and like i've never i don't personally have actually never really played in death um so i was like yeah you know there are no enemy fighters in your territory or no one's territory for me that's generally just a non-starter that's just not how i like to operate um i know i said don't bring cards um that can be countered by like a a single warband um but i always have soul raid in the back of my head i always think that they're meta relevant (laughs) um and so the fit stop this cold exactly the fish can just show up and be like a path of death what um so I don't know. I'm, I'm never really hot on gating, um, gating cards. So especially in best of threes, like I, I actually played a game this morning where um, the first game was really tight. Uh, but my opponent over the course of our first game, you know, had scored these cards that showed me that he didn't want me in his territory. Uh, well, then mm, during sure. our second second game, I knew exactly how to counter him. And was able to, um, you know, take advantage of that, constantly, you know, hold myself just over the line into his territory and, you know, really prevent that scoring. So I just generally don't keep gated uh, territory cards in my decks. Um, Sure. But 
I could be talked into this one. I've seen Josh do it, you know, extraordinarily. I think if you one of the one of the um, difficulties with it uh, and going, um, I think one of the difficulties in general actually uh, is if you're not guaranteed to set up the boards, you're not guaranteed to set up a choke point, and therefore they can just kind of scoot past you. Sure. So. Let me begin the process of talking you into this. Okay. <laughs> the reason I like this, and even in a best of three format, I loved this during the uh, the team tournament that we did because it makes my opponent make a choice. If we're doing a somewhat counter punchy uh, build where we we want to have that insurance we want to be able to score things if they don't come to us this is this is a loaded cannon this is if you do not come to me you will suffer three glory josh you're talking me into this (laughs) (laughs) so i will have to admit um after everything i said i included siege breakers in my maybe category to try to build a reason for people to come to you in a best of three. Well, I think that is a as as resounding of a argument for a path of death as we can have, right? I mean, yeah, Siege is probably slightly worse, um, and does a similar thing. Agree. All right. So um, the question is, do we double down on Siege Breakers? No. <laughs> I think that's, that's too much because because if your opponent knows you're bringing both, then they're like, well, now I have to stop it. I, yeah, I, right. I, can't, I can't do it, Josh. <laughs> well, and then it's like, okay, so then if they do decide I need to deny these, that's five glory out of the deck, right? Yep. Like yeah. it, it becomes too easy. The math is too easy. It's like, oh, of course I'm going to deny five five because like if it doesn't work i guess i'm dead if it works they probably lose um true and then you just fixate on a uh on a like full aggro and if you haven't built for that you're gonna have a bad time right you know one thing um i'll give credit to path of death for is even against somebody like soul raid grimwatch um uh spike claw swarm uh who can just kind of boop you know appear uh in your territory um, Path of Death is any end phase, which yep, it is. is incredible for three three glory. So, so that means you basically have to have somebody committed to being in enemy territory at the right of, yeah all three yeah, rounds basically to make sure that they catch it at the right time. Yep, absolutely. All right, you've convinced me, Josh. You've won me over. All right, good deal. Um, so starting to look at other options. Um. And other options that are in our uh, plot locked options is Conquered Domain just an auto include? Auto. Okay. <laughs> Put it in. I I was thinking why why wouldn't you have it if you're running it? Like it it's it's so easy for folks who haven't played with this before. Uh, this is score that's in an end phase. If there is a friendly fighter on a feature token within one hex of no one's territory gain one additional glory point for each other friendly fighter on a feature token within one hex of no one's territory. So starts out as a one glory end phase that can fairly easily flex up to two. And then in some pretty unlikely, but possible scenarios, three, four plus I've scored uh four with the thorns. Mm. It was rude. 
Nice. I like it. That actually gives us quite a bit of end phase glory. Where else are you guys looking to grab some end phases? Yeah, so I kind of leaned into the headspace of um, a hold to like punch pack um, if we were hanging out in the center line. Um, so I, I thought about um, we'll, we'll toss these in the maybe's camp. Um, the stockpile, uh, you know, where you're holding objectives that number up to six. Generally, you're not holding more than two to make that happen. Um, and they have a confusion that I can't wait to talk about um, that mm-hmm. can really help secure this. They've got good movement speed. So if we're kind of camping out center, um, then we could always just move to where we need to, to, to make stockpile happen. That's two uh, in the same vein, you know, instead of looking for, you know, numerical value uh, path to victory exists um, where, you know, we're holding two again, you know, here, but, uh, the only requirement in uh, in addition is that we've gotten a kill within the uh, the phase, which is part of their game plan. Um, so I kind of added these both as my my um, hold to counter punch, um, you know, flex build ideas. Um, they're never far away when I'm considering a flex build. Yeah, uh, I I often worry about. And, I, and I've just not really ever played it, but I always worry a little bit about stockpile, just getting the math to work. Um, but I think the more I've sort of seen games play out, getting to six isn't actually that hard most of the time. You can get really unlucky and end up with, you know, one in two, and then it becomes hard. But I think more often than not these days, that isn't usually too big of a concern and if we are really worried about it we can bring some power cards to try and make that easier a point in the like cons column for that in the meta right now is um you're probably gonna run up against pandemonium in an event and And they they have (laughs) they have a gambit that they're probably taking uh that's gonna allow them to switch to um uh two feature tokens or objective tokens. Yep. And so not only could they use that for their own benefit, um, because they're trying to get to nine um that they're holding, um, but they could, you know, use it as a counterplay against stockpile. So um I'm kind of talking myself out of stockpile to be frank. Okay. Uh I don't I don't have any problem with um oh man, what's it called? You were just talking about it. Uh Path to Victory. Path to Victory. I don't have a problem with that one. Um Josh, what are your thoughts? Uh, um, as I'm thinking on Path to Victory and Stockpile, I'm looking at the rest of it, and we have a lot of counter, but no punch. Well, I, I feel the punch is in the power department, is in your fighter profiles. It's not really in your... Um, yeah, we're not... We're not leaving objectives into it for scoring, but we're still right. trying to get what kills. I'm, what I'm saying is if we run up against a hold war band with this, uh, this deck as it stands right now, we don't have anything that rewards us for going in and rooting that out. I mean, well, 
You'll I don't be... necessarily agree with that. The, the The reward in and of itself in that case is that you're stopping your opponent from scoring. Right. So and... hold hold scores high um, to offset mm-hmm. exact, exactly what Phil's saying. And we're trying to hold in the middle, right? Right. Now, we won't outhold. That's for sure, right? If we just sit there and are like, all right, we're going to get conquered domain. We're going to get path to victory. Uh, well, you know, they're probably going to get... Uh, you know, they could potentially get claim the prize for three. They could get, you know, their infaction holds if they're a swarm hold warband. Um, they could get supremacy. All of a sudden it could explode on you if you don't, you know, go tap into um, their game plan. Um, but that's, I think that's, you know, a side effect of just playing this warband in general is you're going to have to be prepared to um, forgo some of your, um, well, you kind of want to make some of this a little flexible so that when you interfere with their game plan, um, you can still rely on a little bit of this. I think, I think most of this still works. Like if you have to move in and, you know, steal one of their objectives because they're a hold war band, that's still fine. And then that works towards path to victory. And you're also still, denying their glory and if you if your way of getting into enemy territory to disrupt them is by killing them off the objectives then like we've got stuff that's rewarding you for getting those kills as well um if if you want a little bit of punch in your end phase uh the greedy cards that i took um and then this (laughs) and and this is kind of like the end of like the pool i uh the end phase considerations i have is um, superior already confirmed. Um, a friendly leader is in enemy territory, and the wound characteristics of enemy fighters that are out of action adds up to four or more. Um, I really love the flexibility there um, uh, on what they're asking for um, you to have out of action on your opponent's side. Um, so you can, you know, kill a couple, you know, two healthers, three healthers, you know, to make that happen. Um, or you can go for one target, you know, a four or greater. And, and I was meet, about to say, that's a Stormcast on order. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. Exactly. Um, so I've got that in there. And then uh, if I don't have a good third end phase in mind for a deck, I almost always flirt with and consider great gains. Um, yeah. I, so I, also... I had that in my initial, like, grouping. But if we're doing a counterpunch where the flex is a little more present, I I don't know that I like it in the initial pass of this deck. I agree. Uh, it almost always makes my like maybe um, if I can't find a third end phase. Um, mm. And for and for those who don't know, uh, great gains is score this in an end phase. If you scored five or more glory points in this round, uh, the beauty of this card is um, you can pace it when you're scoring. So in an end phase, you can reveal additional cards that can get you to that five before you put down great gains to score. Um, so it, it can be a boon of two, um, but it is the type of card that can sit in your hand uh, and stare you in the face like um, like a third end phase card can do, right? So I never really like having both in the deck because it's pretty much you know a, a guaranteed... A recipe for them to end up in your hand and for you to be bricked and frustrated yeah i kind of like the idea 
I hadn't initially included it, but I had looked at it when I was initially building. Um, Superiority confirmed there will be times where you draw this later in the game, and all you have to do is just move your leader into enemy territory. You know, the final yep. activation of a round, you move them in and just say, all right, there I go. Uh, I get two glory. Um, now, of course... There will be times you draw it in the third end phase and your leader's dead. Yeah, right. I mean, that's the flip <laughs> side, right, is that it's risky. I say we include it as a maybe, um, and we leave, it, we leave it there as a thing we consider. Um, I, I'm not sold on it, but I don't hate it, and it feels like one that we could... You know, depending on where we want to land on the flex, I think it's a possible option. Um, Josh, would you, would you be a deer and uh, get rid of stockpile? <laughs> I've talked <laughs> myself so out of it. I don't want to look at it in our consideration pool. <laughs> oh, my. Strong, strong feelings. Um, I, done and done. I think, I think your statement about it... Um, being potentially hard countered by FLMs is maybe I know we've already said we don't want to like you know say there's a gatekeeper for a specific objective but that does feel like a strong argument against it and yeah, I think I th- FLMs in this matchup is going to be one where you're you're going to have to uh, bring the fight to them this this is not going to be one where you're going to be able to sit in no man's land and do a little dance and then punch them that's going to be one where you have to get them off the table early i don't disagree with that um so i mean i think there's there's a range of how flexy you can be i think as we mentioned the the aggro with a backup plan feels nice in that a lot of these you can pick up sort of as you move forward Mm -hmm. um, which is a nice thing to have as an aggro warband because sometimes especially against a warband like Ephilims where they don't, they know they don't need to engage um, is that they'll just sit back and be like, okay, come to me. You have to, because if you don't, I'm just going to score all this stuff that I don't need to engage with you with. Um, And it gives you a few glory as you walk towards them. So um, I like having a few of these options. Stockpile Mm -hmm. is probably not that. Yeah. I I wouldn't be opposed to keeping it in the maybes, but if you're really against it, Skylar, we can we can leave it off. <laughs> well, well, my so, thought on that is FOMs, if they're including nine fates, they want four and five. So they're going to, if they have the opportunity, they're going to yoink you off of that. Yeah, mm-hmm. or even if the, you're, you know, you're trying to, yeah, you're, you're yeah. trying to use three cards or three tokens to score a two, two glory, it's it's rough. Yeah, and when you're building a meta relevant deck, I think the the one exception, right, to hey, don't bring, you know, don't be afraid to bring a card that one warband can counter, right? And then, you know, just kind of brace yourself for that, have a have a backup plan for how you personally are going to navigate that. Um, cuz you can always counterplay, you can always work against you can know right out of the gate, oh, you know, in this matchup this card's dead, so what can I make dead, you know, uh, for them in this matchup? Yep. That, that that's normally how you want to navigate that. But when you know um, that the meta sees a lot of a warband, you know you're, you're you're pretty confident. You have a good feeling. I'm going to see this warband. That's that's when the exception kind of kind of comes in. It's like oh, you know, Aplum's really hot right now. Okay, I'll keep 
you know, potentially stockpile out of the mix because they're just going to be able to remove this from me in each of those games I play against them. Sure. And particularly when it's a card that was already kind of iffy, like I was still already on the fence about a card that required two, maybe hold three objectives. That's sure. that's definitely when that comes into play. All right. Uh, any other considerations for end phase? We I'm are tapped. At tapped six. out. Sounds good. Um, I, I'm in the same boat. I feel like there was not as many available options here. So by my count, uh, and you guys can correct me, we've got six on the end phase. We've got Path to Victory, Path of Death, Conquered Domain, Superiority Confirmed, All Rise, and Tools of Death. That is what we got. So with those in mind, um, does that leave any anything in the surges that sort of starts to feel like an immediate cut? Great question. So I am less, less on it about eager assistant Mm -hmm. because now we've edged into, okay, I need to secure objective slash feature positioning and support positioning. That's uh that's a big ask for one game. Agree. Sure. Let's cut it. Yep. And then to that same thought, I think uh things like um oh which one's which? We've got bound in servitude. I think bound in servitude's um living on a borrowed time right now. <laughs> I, that's sort of my feeling too. It's for the same reason, right? It's like if we need to stand on those feature tokens, how often are we going to be able to force the supports? Um and like will we want to I'm not sure that we immediately cut it, but I it feels like it's it's a little rough um off with their head could also still come out, but I'm not. Let's let's just leave it with these seven, and we can figure out which one comes out once we've finished the power cards. Okay. Because I think that'll probably make it pretty clear as to which one is the out, one on the outs. Uh, I agree. All right. So we'll get into gambits now, um, and I think that given where we've sort of ended up we're going to need a lot of pushes. So I would suggest we start with any strong pushes in their faction cards. Uh, I know they have a few. What uh, what do you guys see as potentially good options for pushes? The pushes that I saw were not that great. Yeah, so I would they almost... all ones where I was like, these are these are nice to haves in uh, like Nemesis and Rivals decks, like very useful tools. But they were the like push tech we have at home kind of I, thing. I concur. <laughs> yeah, I, okay. I think when you're talking about what they have to offer from a faction standpoint um, in the push department, you should um, it's you can reframe that conversation um, to um, the reposition. Uh, conversation because I, I agree wholeheartedly with you, Josh, that the 
they're the the pushes that we have at home, right? I, you'd rather take a sidestep over um, a couple of their options um, that are only pushing a fighter one, but only you know if these conditions are met. Yeah. Right. Uh, so you'd rather pick an omnidirectional sidestep over those. Um, the only one that I was hard pressed not to cut was condemned step forward which is confusion and it's a little more strict because you can't use it on two of your fighters but you also give the enemies enemy or enemies that you chose condemned counters which works towards some of our goals in our objectives yeah i included that one as well i i think that's um in line with our game plan all right, let's take it then. Uh, I had that one as well. Uh, I think it's it's solid. It'll work well into this strategy. I think it worked well before for aggro as well, but I think it's just a good card. Um, looking back at these cards again, I, I see what you mean. You can just take universal pushes to do a lot of the same things. Um, so I don't I don't see those as being particularly strong. Uh, I suppose <laughs> one one thing we kept talking about, we should probably just start by including all of the resurrection surges. Um, so partial resurrection. And is there another one? I thought there was. Or is that uh, the other one? I don't think there's so, a universal hmm. additional one, but there's you must serve in, with it, within their deck. Yeah, Correct. yeah, that's the one. Yeah. I think you so, need both. I think so too. So... Partial um, is place one friendly fighter that is out of action on a starting hex in your territory. Give that fighter one raise counter or raise token. Sorry. Uh, then give that fighter wound counters until that fighter is vulnerable. And then you must serve is uh, place a friendly chain rasp that is out of action on a starting hex in your territory. So same same shtick there. Uh, give that fighter one raise counter. Then if there are four surviving friendly fighters. Give that fighter wound counters until that fighter is vulnerable. Yeah, it, it's just the thing where they don't want you to lose a fighter and immediately bring them back and be back to full strength, right? right. So mm-hmm. there's that da- slight downside if you use it with only one fighter out of action. So I think there's a conversation to be had now that we've kind of talked about doing a counterpunch, and that is Reborn in Darkness, Remind us so what for those at home. This is a reaction card, and you play this after you give a friendly fighter a raise token, and you place that fighter in a cover hex. Normally, we would be resurrecting on a starting hex in our territory or adjacent to the um, the terminus mm-hmm. when uh, when he does his reaction. So I I think being able to raise and place a fighter right where we typically want him is up for discussion at least. Yeah, I I like it as a maybe for sure. I think think it is uh, potentially solid. I think there's room to use it as a surprise. Um, Your opponent could be in a situation where they think, I don't need to really worry about defending that unheld token in a no one's land because their fighters are out of action and they can only revive onto uh, one of their starting hexes. And then 
suddenly you're like, nope, I revive and get to place them onto the cover hex. Yeah, that gets you into place for Conquer Domain. Um, and because Path to Victory is the only thing that we need actual objective facings for, um, we can, you know, tilt the paintings as we go down the hallway. And by that, I mean, we can, you know, um, uh, going into end phases, if we don't have Path to Victory in our hand, we can um, delve the objectives uh, to the cover side to help uh, continue to give this breath. True. So let's put it in. Um, I, I do think having the in-faction way to resurrect a fighter makes the the card much more palatable. Um, if you had to do it with power cards, I'd feel pretty iffy, but I think as it stands, that is solid choice. Um, so that puts us up already to four. Uh, what else do we feel we need? I, I feel like we still need just regular pushes. What are the kinds of pushes you guys think make so sense? So before we talk about pushes, I would like to just dwell a little bit longer on partial resurrection. Okay. Hot take here. With the prevalence of ping in the meta, I don't think this should be a restricted card. <laughs> sure right sure. i mean you could make that argument but also being able to bring uh, fighters back from the dead is very powerful so it is it is strong being able to especially if that your opponent does not have said ping in it but when your opponent does have ping you bring them back and they're just like ha ha thank you for the glory and your spent power card it's uh it's rude it's you real know, rude you know with that consider like that is something i i want to keep in mind as we continue to build out because that could potentially help cut partial i think i think we still take it um but um there are so many pings in the game right now where like it doesn't matter what plot deck you're taking you're getting access to a plot locked ping um and you're also um like have universal ping available to you beyond that so it's one of those things where if we do bring it and, and again, I, I do think we should. You got to be really careful uh, with the timing of it uh, to prevent that feel bad and that that wasted attempt with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I certainly see the arguments against it. I still think that we have enough stuff in the deck where we're going to want it. Um, you know, there's stuff like All Rise, Tools of Death. Like, I, I think that the pros outweigh the cons at least in my mind right now i think we still keep it in um and obviously we can change our minds down the line but i i'd be hard pressed to cut it right now okay i i think you play it much more carefully than maybe you would in the past but i think a lot of the pings are not just like deal damage to anyone anywhere there is positioning related so if you just need another fighter alive you can place them in a pretty safe place at the end of the round and probably guarantee your end phases still score, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, and generally, you're going to get a good read on if their pings have been spent by that time. Or just how many power cards they have left in hand. Yeah, yep, exactly. Well, to circle back to pushes, um, and repositioning in general, um, actually, uh, one of their infaction cards I had in my short list was hold them still. 
Um, so this is a reaction. Yes. Play this yep. after a friendly fighter's move action. If they are adjacent to one or more en- enemy fighters, choose another friendly fighter. The chosen fighter makes one move action, and that uh, move action, sorry, after that move action, the chosen fighter must be adjacent to one or more of those enemy fighters. So uh, move into an enemy and then uh, bring in your support. Yeah. Um, I think this is solid. I think there will be times where you can actually use this to like jump on multiple feature tokens. There will be times where you're getting onto one feature token and bringing in a supporting fighter. Um, since this isn't restricted to things like chain rasps, you could even use this as a way to get the boss into position. Um, now, admittedly, that would mean that the boss isn't making any attacks in that activation, but I, I do kind of like the idea of putting him into a position where he can swing without charging. Um, so I, I like it. I think it makes a lot of sense. I, for similar reasons, had counter charge um, in the deck as a shortlisted option, but it's a bit more restricted because it's queued off of an opponent's charge rather than a move on your side. So um, I do love that card. I, I brought, uh, so that can be a potential push to three um, uh, counter counter charge, right? Yep. Um, so commanding stride um, was uh, on my short list because of how integral to your game plan uh, your, your leader, leader is. is. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's push your leader up to three axes. After this push, your leader must be in a starting hex. So I was thinking, you know, if you need to get, you know, you're in a matchup um, where, uh, or a situation even, uh, where you just need to get that extra mileage out of your leader, um, Commanding Stride can really uh, set, set that up for you. You know, whether that's pre- keeping you from charging, um, you know, and still getting you the attack that you need, or you're charged out and you need to move around the board a little bit, um, then this can be huge. A move, you know, a push three, mm-hmm. potentially. Yeah. What it doesn't do is it doesn't help with, um, well, I suppose conquer domain or path to victory, right? Because you're not going to be able to use commanding stride to get yourself onto those objectives. Unless we want to bring stuff to move the objectives around. Um, I don't know that we want to skew that hard into those things, but it is a possibility. Sure. Josh, any thoughts on either of those options? Countercharge, I think, fits because we can use that to our advantage uh the only thing that is going to really hold me back from commanding stride is that we want to be in no man's land where starting hexes aren't exactly where we want to be it can help with some early repositioning and some later game get off the objectives and do a murder but it's it's not going to be as effective as it normally would be. Okay. So I'm not, I, I think it makes it to the maybe pile, but okay. it might not be as useful as we would normally think. Sure. I'm actually not sold on either option as being like necessary, but I think they're both strong pushes. So I had included them as maybes. Um, let's put them in as maybes just for now, um, and we can mm-hmm. come back to them. So um, two other pushes, because I, I generally kind of like build a push picture 
Um, like here's kind of the push options I can potentially bring with this particular warband. You know, a lot of the times that's very universal. Like you could bring sidestep, right? It usually ends up in the in the maybe bin right yep. out of the gate. Um, but um, uh, additional ones I thought about for this warband, I, I'm getting to play with death. I don't normally get to play with death. Um, uh, is lethal advance? Um, it's leader restricted, um, and it has that box. Um, so I like that because it's salvageable. Um, if your leader is down um, and this is push up to two friendly fighters within two hexes of your leader one hex towards the nearest enemy fighter i generally think you're going to be kind of moving as a group you're going to kind of be within two of your leader a lot of the time i think um so mm-hmm. I, I thought this could be uh potentially powerful um you know the opportunity to push up to two friendly fighters is generally really good um uh, on, in a similar vein, another leader restricted push uh, is inspired command. Choose one friendly fighter other than your leader and pick one. Push the chosen fighter one hex, or give the chosen fighter one guard token. Um, if we're including earthworks uh, in our deck, this was um, in my short list because it's flexibly a sidestep as long as your leader is alive. Um, a guard token to get your earthworks if, again, your leader's alive. And if it's if your leader's not, um, you can salvage this. So my short list, um, for sure. Uh, I agree. I like that, actually. I think that's a strong option, um, having the synergy of being both a push or a way to pick up um, earthworks in the power step. I like it. I agree. Uh, I think another push slash reaction worth considering is mirror move especially for doing uh counter punch i think being able to um be like yeah okay you uh you pushed me off of that objective with a drive back or off of that token with a drive back uh i'm going to reposition you into a not so good spot and take your life so there's that I'm never, I'm never opposed to mirror move. Same. I think it's always playable. So on the topic of building out a push picture, I think we've kind of actually really done that here. We've got <laughs> got at least few. yeah five, maybe six. One thing that I would like to talk about is center of attention. I don't think it makes it to this list now because it doesn't doesn't provide much choice. It, it has a way of being able to get into its own way. I had it included when we were doing a lot more aggro because I thought it would be a fantastic opportunity to both bring the party to me and pull people off of objectives. But now that it seems like we're going to be in the middle and maybe venturing into enemy territory a little bit more as it pleases us... Um, I would definitely not Yeah, so in favor of any of the others. I concur, oddly enough. And uh, Center of Attention may be my... It, it's one of my top uh, favorite cards in the game. <laughs> so it's, it's always weird leaving it out of a deck. As I was building, it was easily one of the first cards that made it into my ploy stack. Yeah. But it, now that we've gone this direction, it, uh, it, it does have a place. It, it is 
certainly a counter play card. Um, I think especially in this build, I, there's almost always room for it, but I think you're right that it's got diminishing returns with this play style. So we probably leave it off for now. And I think we're right as well, Skylar, in that we, we now have quite a few push options and we should probably start looking at other things. There's other utility pieces. There's other accuracy boosts. I'm not sure which direction you guys want to lean. I think maybe we take a couple of each personally. Sure. So one of the things that uh, should always be up for discussion when you're taking a death war band is death soldiers. Yep. It is restricted for a reason. Yeah, it's very, very good. Um, so for the for those folks keeping score at home, Death Sol- Death's Soldiers is play this only in your power step. You can use the following reaction. This effect persists until the end of the round or until you use this reaction. And that reaction is, use this during an attack action that targets a friendly fighter after the attack roll. That attack action has minus one damage to a minimum of one until it has been resolved. Yeah, just a use it when you need it minus one damage it's incredibly powerful um i think you definitely just put it in for now until we see that we need the restricted slot right i think so too i think so too um, uh getting to play with death again uh i love plunder the graves so much um shuffle your power discard pile face down then draw the top card return that card to your hand um this could bring back a raise um, or a clutch push. Um, I just, I know that there's some RNG involved in Plenty of the Graves, but um, I just really like that card. It's one I haven't ever played with. Um, in concept, I really like it. I think that late in the game, it's probably not very good, but early in the game, it can be extraordinarily powerful because you have so few choices of what you're going to get back um, that it ends up being a situation where it's like, well, I'm probably getting what I want. So um, I don't hate it. I think it's a strong utility piece. Um, for um, some other options, I'll just I'll toss out. Um, uh, Unexpected Ally uh, made uh, my consideration list for um, the purpose of <laughs> things like you know, any, any of the surges that we end up keeping that require support. And so Unexpected Ally reads, uh, choose a friendly fighter. The chosen fighter is considered to have one additional supporting fighter when making a range one or range two attack action. But hold on. Uh, this effect persists until the chosen fighter makes a successful range one or range two attack action. Uh, sure. So mm. I love the persist until successful attack here. Um so it could help you with bound and servitude um, or loyal allies. Yep. Uh, it also just gets you um, condemn counters further inspire. Yes. If the attack is supported, they can get an additional one. So yes, um, that's solid. Uh, and then just it's an accuracy boost, right? I mean, this is it's not a plus dice, but it's still an accuracy boost. So we will need at least a couple of those, I think. So I like it. I think it synergizes pretty well. Um, so uh, one, one more to uh, toss out. Uh, not an accuracy boost um, and maybe not actually a card that belongs in this build um, as, as we're running it down. 
Um, but a card I tossed in really quickly uh, was Scapegoat. Um, I love Scapegoat, um, but I'm hesitant to include it here, oddly enough. It is uh, Choose an Enemy Fighter. The Chosen Fighter has a wounds characteristic of 5, unless it would be higher. This effect persists until the end of the round. Give the Chosen Fighter one Stagger token and one Condemned uh, counter. So I love that this can be uh, monumental uh, towards their game plan. You know, they can... Any any fighter, they choose to toss a Headsman's Curse. Um, I, I feel like most people who are familiar with Headsman's Curse, they know that this card could be coming. Um, and so they have to hesitate, like, who am I willing to put out? Because if they put out somebody on one dodge, then all of a sudden um, they've built you the perfect fighter that you can turn large, uh, potentially get two glory off of and inspire off of. Um, And you're getting accuracy in the stagger as well. Yep. A a side benefit of stagger is that they can't delve. So if your opponent has decided to delve things into cover and then later they're like the next round they're wanting to be able to flip it back because they're like okay i'll take advantage and then i want to hold later you can stop that with this um we do want to give condemned counters so giving condemned counters just on any enemy fighter is solid um and if somebody you know say somebody already has a large wound count or maybe even just four wounds but they're wounded already close to death so that one more hit would always kill them you can play scapegoat on them still have them be within range of getting killed in one hit but then you get the extra glory for making them large i like it it was in my short list um cool i unless josh has strong uh opinions to not take it i think this one's uh it's a decent play it's it's conversation worthy for sure i i'm hesitant to give fighters wounds when they don't need it but i mean when it does tap out that's that that is an extra glory and there aren't very many ploys that just straight up provide more glory so i don't to to the point of like i don't want to give extra wounds um I don't think you would ever play this in a situation where you're not going to kill the fighter anyway. Um, if this is going to prevent them from dying, I I don't know that you would put this out there. Uh, if your intent is to kill the fighter, I should say. Um, I think there's situations where you care more about condemned and stagger than you do about getting the kill. Like if you knew you needed two hits to kill them anyway, do you care if you gave them one extra wound? Right. Well, Valid. and let's say let, uh, let's say you're relying on the sharpener, uh, who's the only fighter I just checked that has Grievous amongst them, right? And you're like, okay, like Grievous, you know, could get me this large fighter kill. Um, well, if it doesn't, um, and you scapegoated them into large, well, at the end of the round, um, they're going to die anyways, right? Because you brought them up to that large threshold. Um, in this scenario, I'm saying like, you know, they had one damage to go normally, um, and then you, for some reason, needed the sharpener, um, <laughs> you know, to, to either do the one for four, uh, you know, you know, to get them there or, you know, Grievous to get that extra, you know, greedy five. At, at the very least, when the card pops, they go back to their normal stats. They still have their wounds on them. 
right? They're still going to die. Uh, I guess a better example would be if you know you're going to need two hits on them, you get the one and you don't get the second. Um, uh, again, they'll return to their to their um, original stat line and could potentially still die um, and um, give you the, the condemned stuff that you need from it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, a slight side benefit. I mean, we probably don't need to talk this much about this card, but it's something I just realized is that this is a choose. So if they are playing ah, illusions, you can break yep. their illusions with this. It, a lot of flexibility with this card. I, I hadn't considered all these possibilities with it when I first looked at it, but I actually really like it. I think there's a lot you can do here. So I'd say cool. let's put it in. Um, speaking of choose, um, I think this is going to be my last compromise contribution to the gambits uh here um but it's one of theirs and i don't know how i missed it when we were talking about repositioning uh it's Romy witness um and i would like to make a case for this replacing our reborn in darkness um so reborn in darkness being a reaction uh once the resurrection occurs um Romy witness uh not having that limitation but still helping us reposition to where we need to be uh choose a friendly chain rasp remove the chosen fighter from the battlefield and place the chosen fighter on an edge hex. Then give the chosen fighter one charge token. If that friendly fighter is adjacent to one or more enemy fighters, uh, give each of the enemy fighters one condemned counter. Um, So I I like this a lot. It doesn't actually have any conditions on the token state um, of the chain rasp. So we could have already charged with them. Uh, We could have just brought them back. Um, and when we drop that fearsome fortress uh, token into play at the beginning of our game plan, uh, we could put that, uh, I believe, um, uh, in an edge hex. Um, I'm going to be really sad if I'm wrong because I already stated this uh, is a favorite deck of mine. I think you're going to be sad. I'm going to be sad. It's fearsome fortress can't go <laughs> in an edge hex. Are you serious? I don't. I don't think so. All right, I need that. Uh, let's double mm. check that. I think you. Can. I think it has to follow the same rules as token placement. But I'll. I mean, I've got the plot card right here. I was literally uh, digging into a let's drawer. Let's see. Feature token within one hex of no one's territory, but not in starting blocked lethal or cover. It can be in an edge hex. Yeah. Boom. There you go. So you can use Romy Witness to help get you back into conquered domain. Um, right there or just move a fighter up unexpectedly I think is also a possibility Um, oh for sure I don't don't know about replacing Reborn in Darkness because I still like that utility but I do think there's a conversation to be had about it I think there's room for both potentially Um, I don't don't hate it Um, because Roaming Witness was on my short list Oh, nice. Well, so the reason I was saying, um, you know, uh, a potential replacement for Reborn in Darkness is it's for the most part, Reborn in Darkness is going to end up targeting that um, Fearsome Fortress token placement, right? Um, So if Roaming Witness can do the same thing, um, then we've got two cards doing, you know, accomplishing that. Maybe we like that redundancy. the other case with Reborn of Darkness, as we've already stated, is we could start flipping, right, um, on, on our way uh, through the map. But are we going to be doing that um, too much? I'm not. I'm not 100 percent certain. Let's just put it in, yeah. and we. Oh yeah, I got it in. Yeah, I, we, I like it. So, <clears throat> I think where we're at right now, just looking at the list, we've got 14 
Gambitian. I think we have accuracy in the form of supports. Um, we can kind of have some of our repositioning pieces also function as ways to give accuracy. I generally prefer plus dice, but I think given the way this warband tends to work, I think using supports is actually fine. They want to be supporting for some of their infaction stuff anyway. Um, so the question then just becomes which ones of these end up being the cuts? Um, I think one that feels like a possible cut for me, um, I'm just, I'm not really sure about commanding stride. I think it doesn't synergize very well with holding in the middle. And I just don't know. I don't know. How often are we going to want to use a push away from the middle to get a free attack with the leader? It can also keep the leader safe um, if the leader um, is being you know, threatened. Well, is being threatened, fails an attack. Um, I think. I yeah. think it's got. So it's. I will admit or concede it is outside of the end phase game plan, uh, or uh, we'll say even just the objective game plan um, holistically. Um, so I could see it on the cutting block for sure, but I, I do think it's got a lot of tools for keeping your your key fighter um, either where you need him from a, an attack standpoint or in safety, um, you know, in a hurry. Quick point of interest. This is not leader restricted i know is it i mean that alone makes me itch because you can't salvage <laughs> it <laughs> um i i'm i'm less worried about that part but i i'm already on the fence about it just because it doesn't move us towards our game plan yeah um and i yep. always hesitate to have about having cards that don't actively move me forward in my game plan I'm content with it being on the cutting block. Um, and if you two uh, want to move it from on the cutting block to cut, um, uh, feel free. You mean execute it? Perfect. Yeah. Let's let's do cool. it. Let's take it out. Um, I think I think it's one of those cards. Davey mentions this fairly often in thinking about these kinds of newer deck builds where we don't have a ton of experience with the warband. You take it out, thinking. On paper, it's probably not going to work. And then you, when you play your games, you think about all the situations where this would have been super helpful. Man, I wish I had Inspired Command in my hand right now. <laughs> yep. Right. Yep. So you, you think about it like, man, should that have been in the deck because it could have saved my bacon in all of these situations? Or you're like, man, it really never came up. Mm -hmm. um, yep. Thinking about it more, I know I suggested this one, but... Thinking about it more, I think countercharge maybe ends up being a little restrictive. Um, I think one of the problems with it, be, although it's a push three and it can help you, if your opponent is playing with ranged fighters, there will be a lot of situations where you won't really be able to do the countercharges. Um, unless you want to like push the fighter who's being attacked way into enemy territory to then die a horrible death. Um, so if your opponent isn't coming to you in no man's territory, suddenly counter charge feels 
a lot less useful. And in some cases, you just won't be able to play it at all. Sure. So I think, mm. personally, I'm feeling like maybe we just cut it, even though it's a push three, and instead we keep around something like mirror move, which is just a reaction push to just have an available push all the time. I like it. I like it. Okay. Yeah, something something I found with counter charge because uh, it, it's a card I've um, played with quite a bit um, is you'll have those rounds uh, where you just finish your end phase and you're praying that you're going to win the roll off and then you don't. Um, but you've got they've got a fighter paired against your fighter. You know, just standing adjacent to each yeah, other. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. It just it comes up so no often. Charge. It's like oh, I hope I win the roll off and then you don't, and it's like oh, I'm really glad I drew into counter charge as one of my five i won't be able to use that to help me <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah i don't know anything else right now that you guys are feeling as uh a, an easy cut i feel like we're starting to get to the hard the hard cuts yeah because we're at 12 i mean to have already cut down to 12 feels pretty good um before we get to the upgrades i think so too okay we'll come back to it okay um upgrades so maybe boring but i feel like an easy place to always start is great fortitude and great strength they just can go right in um i actually left great strength out really this time around why are you the way that you are so (laughs) so okay hear me out Uh, (laughs) no um so i just feel that with the kit the way it is like do you so I brought Glory Seeker instead? Um, I had both, but okay. And I think an argument can be made for both. Like um, I, I think generally you bring both, but um, when I was considering like what I was cu- would cut from this build, I was like, do I consider cutting Great Strength? And uh, is, what? It, tell me, tell me real quick, <clears throat> why would you bring a conditional plus one? Over a non-conditional plus one. Yes, thank you for asking me. You set me up for this. Perfect. Um, okay, so we'll, we'll, I'm excited to hear this. Wielder of the Blade is where you want your damage to be coming from, right? Um, and that's already at three damage. So if you're adding plus one to it to actually cement a kill, your uh, Glory Seeker is valid. We're already at four, right? Okay. Okay. Um, you always have the scripter of the sentence available to you, or sorry, not scripter, uh, the sharpener, of course, the sharpener, uh, you always Uh have the sharpener available to you to add that plus one damage. If you haven't drawn into glory seeker yet. Now, Mm -hmm. I I think I'd rather gen like genuinely, I think I'd rather actually have great strength. Um, that also spends an action. Exactly. I'd rather have great strength and spend a glory than have to spend an action. So, um, I think, um, you know, I'd rather have both for consistency, but if I was hard pressed, if I had to pick one in this warband, I think I'd bring glory seeker instead of great strength because, um, I can also give it to the scripter, uh, right. Great strength can't help the scripter, but he's a ranged fighter that can start dealing extra damage to, um, you know, my four health or plus targets. Uh, and I just feel like everybody else is prepped already to take on somebody at three health or less. You've got three health or three damage coming in from your leader before inspire after inspire bearers there as well. Um, and scripter and sharpener are only dealing one 
on their own normally, and their attack profiles are pretty abysmal, especially the sharpeners. <laughs> so I don't think you're planning to do work with great strength in the sharpener to begin with. Um, you're probably giving him a weapon. And then, like, are you really going to also invest great strength into him? Or also, you know, like, I just... Your, your, your attackers are going to be primarily the wielder and the bearer, and I don't know if they need the help. Um, sure. And then the scripter can benefit from glory seeker as well. And if the, if the aforementioned bearer and wielder do need the help, um, then, oh my God, uh, they're at four, you know, plus health, the target, uh, and glory seeker will, will do the trick. Okay. I hear you on the scripter. Okay. I have one question for you. Sure. Was cackling nightmare in your list? Oh, yes, it was. Sorry. Okay. Yes. If it wasn't, I was going to call you a damn fool. Yeah, yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> having that utility on hip, so for those keeping score at home, Cackling Nightmare essentially lets you attack twice with the Scripter. So having that extra damage from Glory Seeker and being able to just chunk down four health, potentially, on two successful attacks would be just mwah, primo. Yeah, as a... Uh, uh... Skates Wild Hunt player, <laughs> um, uh, the archer uh, in that warband also has uh, essentially a cackling nightmare, um, and I can speak to its strength. It's good, <laughs> especially with Glory Seeker. To the point of cackling nightmare being more of a utility piece than something you would use for damage. Um, Scripter will have the option to uh, after his attack, um, well after an activation step. So, I mean, I guess you can't double, you can't give two condemned counters. How would, how would that work? Okay, so his reaction reads, after an activation step in which this fighter made this attack action, give the target one condemned counter. So if you've yeah. made the action twice, do you... Oh, no, yep. you just won't get to do it. They're both after the activation step. Never mind. Yep, you, you got there. If you get the uh -huh. extra attack, you don't get to give condemned counters, which... And I like to think of it as kind of like um, uh, the uh, adaptiveness to the game plan. It's like, you know, I, you don't have glory to put Cackling Nightmare out there at the beginning. That's fine. You're going to need the um, the condemned counters, right? Well, as soon as you're a little further into the game, you got glory rolling. Hopefully you've got the condemned counters where you need them already. You've shift, you can shift the game plan of the scripter with yeah. Cackling Nightmare. Go turret mode. Yep. Uh, don't hate it. So I'd say we can we can roll with that. Um, question. Yes. Do we take enduring executor as an additional great fortitude? I just on principle will always take uh, in factions over universals just because. But the question the universals right. get used more. Sure. Yeah, it's just the flavor, right? Do you, um, do you take both though? Is the question. It's a good question. I, I, it's one of those things that you do, you test. I actually don't think that you take two out of the gate, and that just might be my playstyle experience. Um, is I just don't usually run uh, a ton of plus plus health. Um, but it would like I bring enduring executor for that you know in faction great fortitude flavor, and then I put great fortitude in my um, like I always have a little stack of cards that's like my con the continued considerations for the warband um as i continue to play games 
sure. and great great fortitude would end up in it I, but I, I don't think it would end up in my first draft okay uh i would argue though that as another defensive upgrade we do take ethereal immunity a hundred percent this makes rolls of double uh successes in this fighter's defense rolls um for your two dodge fighters it makes them essentially two block i have one hesitation with that i was all aboard that train when we were doing when i was thinking an invade but now we're gonna spend a decent amount of time on feature tokens on objectives though right so if you have path to victory in your hand um and you have ethereal immunity in your hand you're going to be happy that you're going to be on cover while still you know satisfying your your path to victory condition true um and uh it can you know regardless of your current token placement uh it can help benefit um two of our surges uh it can help with loyal allies um so you can score loyal allies off of just having that facing um mm, yes in your role uh and thank you for bringing that up i'm you, sold you literally don't even have to succeed like you can still take yep. damage from that um but nope. you'll score loyal allies yeah um totally sold awesome uh and it also then helps uh with contest of equals uh we're still selling <laughs> i already said take my money damn it <laughs> all right all right <laughs> all right so that one's in i i thought it was a a really solid choice i feel like one card that is very often taken in champs builds right now is cursed boarding pike um i do kind of feel like both scripter and sharpener would benefit from this um and being that we're a hold the middle warband having a range two attack action isn't actually a bad thing uh do you guys have any thoughts uh i yeah i think having a a range poke is is not bad especially with hold middle um and if we find room to continue to keep great strength in here it's a range two it'll get the benefit from it um it's one of the best weapons in the game right now if we find room would you (laughs) i mean i think it's maybe the best weapon they've ever printed um the fact that it gives spent glory when you're not on a feature token is almost inconsequential yeah um it's just an insanely good upgrade as a weapon upgrade okay uh i think the one that we haven't talked about yet directly but have talked about in other conversations is job satisfaction that is the if attack give guard oh yeah yeah let's let's take that one because we're we're directly benefiting in our surges Yep, and being on guard is just not a bad thing to have, especially when you can do it off of just and is it attack or activation? It's just attack activation. Uh, attack the Spider-Man. Yeah. Okay. Yep. An attack action. Yeah, it's just so good. Uh, like it's you know that scenario I painted where you're entering round two, fingers crossed, like you win, uh, and like you don't have to charge. Like it's yeah, I'm grabbing that guard token. Thank you very much. <laughs> yep. Um, uh chilling grasp i think we should have a chat about this one (laughs) okay so this one is enemy fighters adjacent to this fighter cannot make move actions okay i'm going to uh hit the flavor text button here and say hold still josh (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yep. Keep, keep that in mind um 
another card that we alluded to already that um, helps with guard is Siege Master. Um, so Siege Master is uh, as a reaction after the spider's activation. If the spider is on a feature token within one hex of no one's territory, choose up to two friendly fighters on feature tokens. Give each chosen fighter one guard token. Um, I don't know if this makes final cut, but I definitely think it makes consideration as um, we've already you know, uh, discussed uh, in length about the benefits of these particular fighters being able to get on guard. Our game plan currently is, you know, that center um, hold counterpunch. Um, yep. Yeah. Uh, so I think this one should at least be in the conversation. So It's on the list. Perfect. So m- moving moving back, uh, what, what were you saying, Josh? So Chilling Grasp, super, super interesting card in my opinion. Uh, so enemy fighters adjacent to this fighter cannot make move actions. Not being able to reposition a fighter until you chew through what's in front of them is rude. So it is restricted to chain rasps, but two of those are still chunky to get through. So because it's restricted to chain rasps, um, I ended up cutting it from my list. I love this card, but like you kind of force their hand, right? So like, it's one of those cards where I like it so much more in theory than I think I do in practice. Uh, I love the idea of like you, you, you're not moving, you're not charging, you are stuck right here. Like the, just the control play of it. Um, but if you turn their game plan into, you know, their only choice into, okay, I guess I have to attack you and you, it's a chain rasp. Um, it might not be the healthiest target to survive said attacking. That said, we do have Great Fortitude and Enduring Executor on the table. True. Um, I guess... But I think two upgrades to make one upgrade more effective. And that's not their only role, but still. Yeah. I So, sorry, here's, here's another argument in my mind against this card. We're going to be playing a lot of the time where we just want to sit in the middle, right? Mm-hmm. when will we have the opportunity to really hold them down in a spot where they don't want to be? Right. So if they send a, a negotiator, <laughs> you know, to us, they probably already come to terms with them not leaving. I, I really like this card in aggro. Actually, I think there's an opportunity mm-hmm. to send somebody in and then lock down some fighters and be like, cool. I got to make the charge I wanted to make anyway. And now your other fighters can't run away. But I think in this build, I think there's very few situations where they're really going to want to like not be in the middle taking out your fighters. So like holding them in the middle doesn't... Maybe maybe there's an argument to say, well, in that case, you would actually send one of the chain rasps out to like stop them from coming to you. Yeah, sort of a sacrificial lamb. I don't know if I... It feels, so, it feels tough. It feels like yeah. a... You're, it's a stretch play where like on paper it would be great if it worked out the way you want it to and I think in practice it might end up not being super useful I I think this is another one where I would want to sort of keep it in mind when I play the games and see like oh man that could have been really useful um, and I really wish I had that and if it ends up coming up that way maybe you slot it in after a game or two and then try it 
Um, and I think if we had pushed this build aggro, um, to, to, to your point, um, I think I think it would have made my my first draft for sure, uh, along with Mighty Swing. By the way, that that's a gambit oh, that we didn't. Yeah, talk. yeah, yeah. yeah In yeah, aggro builds, I think this is like, yeah, the, mm-hmm. the deck for Mighty or the Warband for Mighty Swing, right? <laughs> like speed four flying with a big juicy cleaver of a fighter. Like, let's just get in there. But yeah. Um, let's see. So how many slots we need? Just one more. Technically. I don't know how many more options you guys have thought of. I I've got three more, like maybe three more that I'm like kind of eh on. Right. But want to see if they, they resonate with you guys at all. Um, so I'll just power through these and let me know which one of them like jumps at you. Yeah. So, first up, Lurking Crony. When a friendly fighter adjacent to this fighter makes an attack action, this fighter supports that fighter. Part of what uh, pulled me in was not everybody's going to jump into, you know, a a position where you're supported. This is going to be strong with the bearer of the block, not having to be immediately next to the target in order to give that that cleave. Yeah. Um, So repositioned supports was the highlight there next up i've got deaf to mercy felt like a little bit of overkill because having ensnare on fighters that are already pretty accurate is just you're already punching down on prime targets it feels like so i i don't know how i feel about that one and then honed instincts which is innate support to range one attack actions what was that what was Mm -hmm. the middle one i'm sorry so the middle one was ensnare uh deaths death to mercy so death to mercy okay i I will say generally for upgrades i don't like cleave and ensnare as the only thing that the upgrade gives um i feel like there's times where it's like okay i've got ensnare and then you're fighting a warband that's just block and you're like yeah you're fighting stormcast and it's like well great i glad i gave this upgrade slot or the flip and then you're just like okay great Mm -hmm. and then sometimes you're like okay cool i get ensnare but they're rolling three dice anyway or something and you're like they're just rolling for crits so they almost don't care um so i don't i don't think they're usually super strong they're not horrible but like i think we can probably pick something up better Honed Instincts is interesting. Um, we don't I have, have a lot of time on Honed Instincts. <laughs> <laughs> I find that um, although the awesome or it's it's awesome to have that uh, guaranteed uh, support, um, you then have to make sure that you're really pushing or like cementing that um, that option uh, to make sure that you've got somebody alongside to do the work. So. Um, since I've mentioned before, I don't really dabble in death war bands. I play a lot of order. Um, so I get brigade strength, um, and brigade strength just goes swimmingly with this card, um, because brigade strength says if I'm throwing three dice, I have an additional support. Uh, I'm considered to have an additional support, uh, when I'm making the attack. So, um, I don't know, uh, with, with what we've been doing, you know, from a game plan standpoint, um, 
I don't know if we're leaning enough into making sure we always have that support position or that additional support qualifier to make Honed Instincts work. I think we have enough. Um, we have Unexpected Ally. We have Hold Them Still. Uh, Lethal Advance. Yep. Uh, you can, you know, theoretically, you could pick it up with Roamed Witness. It'd be tough, but like you could make it happen. Like, I think you got enough options for like forcing supports. And then <clears throat> I have already forgotten the name of the card, but if we take that other one that you just mentioned, where a fighter lurking crony lurking crony yeah you could have somebody like scripter sitting on a feature token in no one's territory and then wielder or bearer can you know swing around for an attack while standing adjacent to scripter and then have support from him without scripter actually being adjacent to the target i i kind of like it um you know Getting what? an automatic success, especially with Wielder, feels gross. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> I guess I'm tripping a little bit. I'm not used to, like, I'm also not used to uh, playing much um, Resurrection. You know, with the with Terminus, we're able to bring people right back next to it. Uh, I, I, do, I do think we have enough. Um, I'm intrigued. Right. I, I'm okay think, to be I'm okay to be wrong here. Yeah, we could be very wrong in this choice, but I think I I like it enough and I think we're doing enough stuff where the accuracy boosts that we're using are based in support anyway. So if we're considering that like hey, the way we're adding accuracy is with supports, this is just doubling down on that. So yeah, I think I just thought of all the times I like had honed instincts equipped to a fighter and couldn't get somebody there, <laughs> right? And it's just <laughs> yeah, uh, I hear I you. I, mental blocking on it, but we're I, building towards it. We are. I think, I think, I think until we see otherwise, I think we just we go with it. We say that's a part of our game plan. That's how we're adding our accuracy. Um, I think it's probably okay. Um. I think, I think so. my favorite part of Lurking Crony is the flavor text. <laughs> okay. <What's... laughs> Which is a mocking laugh is all that is needed to distract a victim. <laughs> yeah. Uh, great. That's good. Um, um, so on the topic of accuracy, um, a card that I included in my considerations was Guided Blows. Um, it is an infaction upgrade. You can reroll uh, one attack dice in the spider's attack rolls. Yeah, that's good. That's really yep. good. No range restrictions. Yeah, I mean, I think 99% of the time... So now we've got 12 upgrades, 12 gambits, and 13 objectives. We pared down one objective, and we're fine. <laughs> 12, 12, 12. <laughs> sure. Uh, Alex, this one's for you. Uh, <laughs> no, I do really like rerolls. Rerolls are solid. Um, this also actually works well in our... Uh, game plan of trying to find those supports for the support faces. It can also help our game plan of um, trying to have contest of equals. I mean, maybe you, <laughs> you you don't necessarily know that you need to roll more successes, but um, never hurts, right? Yeah, uh, never hurts to roll a crit. Yeah, unless okay. you're playing new players, then it hurts a Might little. Kill a friendship. <laughs> <laughs> But it never hurts your game. Any so I'm pretty much tapped out of stuff that I would want to include. I 
toyed around with the idea of stuff like duelist speed or quickening greaves, but I think we've got enough push tech in gambits. We don't need it in our upgrades. Um, I agree. I actually had uh, so uh, a card I'm really hot on right now is temporally aligned, um, which is um, uh, an upgrade react um, after a charge. Um, you may push your fighter one, right? Um, so I've been really hot on being able to use that to get into uh, whatever position I need that to be, whether, you know, charge just beyond a feature uh, and then, you know, step back onto it or, you know, hit somebody on a feature and then immediately follow up uh, into that position. But um, as you said, we have you know, uh, uh, plenty of gambits right now supporting push that we don't necessarily need to take away f- from what our upgrades can offer us to, to add more of that in. Anything else for you, Josh, that feels like, uh, we need to consider. Not that I can think of, um, racking my brain for anything that I missed. Mm-hmm. Um, I had before we had, you know, shifted over to the fearsome fortress. I had beast caller, just to try and have more baked in push and support tech. So like, I like the direction this has gone. Sure. I also added walking wall. I just, I, it's a card I, I love just uh, being in the consideration column uh, here. What it could benefit uh, is conquer domain. It could somehow like it's an upgrade that really doesn't do anything outside of you know, work with your fearsome yeah. fortress game plan. I don't know. I don't know that we're doing enough, enough to take yeah. walking wall. I don't, I don't think so either. I like the card in some situations, but right now I don't think we're leaning enough into fearsome fortress to want it. So, um, I would agree. I say um, we don't include it. Yeah, uh, I'm still happy we uh, talked about it because it's a really interesting fearsome fortress card. Yep. But yeah, I, I agree. It doesn't fit quite here. Um, getting you potentially one off a of conquer domain isn't isn't enough and that's really all it could do all yeah. right if there's no others i say we kind of work from left to right here and yeah. narrow down which objective we want to get rid of and go from there so i am i am still between cutting one of bound in servitude or off with their head um so the more that we've built towards having supports um, the more I'm feeling like we keep bound in servitude, but I, I agree. Are I could be persuaded that we keep off with their head. I so I as much so. as I like off with their head. Um, right now our total glory, um, before this cut is at 19. So if we drop this, we're at 18, and 18 is kind of the average that I like to sit at. Um, and we actually already have the flex with Conquer Domain to make that um, even know, higher. Even higher, yeah. right? So actually, off with their head is my choice for cut. Okay. I would agree it. because if we're doing a come to us counterpunch, we can't expect the leader to always be there. Yeah. Um, and we can still pick up Bound and Servitude with the leader. It's just not required. Right, 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 right. Okay. Uh, so that locks us in. Let's just, I'll run down the objectives that we now have. We have Contest of Equals, solid staple. Uh, earthworks, yep. Loyal Allies, 
which as we've discussed a lot lately, we're, we're trying to lean into the support plan, bound in servitude, kept for that same reason, gather a crowd. We're anticipating being around at least some enemy fighters. So I think that's doable. And then quick to judge, uh, we need to condemn people and we are definitely hopefully going to do that. And I think as we mentioned when we first included, if, if for whatever reason you can't score that, you're probably doing well. Uh, we have path to victory, um, for our hold two strategy, we have path of death where we just want to kill people and it gives them that hard choice of how to deny this, um, teleports make things difficult, but I think that's a risk we're willing to take, uh, conquered domain is an easy include superiority confirmed. Um, this is maybe a bit of an odd choice just because maybe the leader doesn't survive, but we can just have him step one hex across the line. And I think we can pretty reliably pick this up. Having four wounds of enemy fighters out is not hard. All rise, uh, kill people and raise fighters doesn't feel like it's not going to happen. I think that's just part of your game plan. And then tools of death. We just have to have upgrades that we've placed across the warband, And I think we can manage that. So gambits, where, where do we cut here? Um, normally I wouldn't say this, but I feel like maybe we've stacked up too many pushes. <laughs> and that, uh, the, the place we start is we find a push to cut because we have a lot i uh, i actually think mm -hmm. roaming witness is on the chopping block and here's why we are allowed to put that uh uh what is it that feature token on a edge hex but that's not always I, I don't think there are many times where we want a fighter in an edge hex, especially if we're kind of holding in the middle. Um, it just seems more niche than what we're going for. I can see that. If that makes sense. Because in addition to that, if we're putting somebody on an edge hex with a charge token, they aren't going to be doing much as far as supporting. Potentially. Um there's the play where you use this to set up the next turn's attack if your opponent already has a fighter near an edge hex. But, I mean, again, we're talking about niche cases here. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't see that as a bad cut. Uh, Skylar, you kind of fought for this one. Do you have any yeah, audience uh, to say we need to keep it? I'm trying to think of why... Uh, why would keep reborn in darkness over it? Um, and I see Josh's point that reborn in darkness doesn't cost us a charge token. Uh, correct. Um, it doesn't cause us a charge token, and it doesn't cost us having to you don't place have to that. Edge. Yeah, place that freebie in the edge. I just feel like Romy Witness is more flexible. Like I, I do gather that reborn in darkness. Now that be that being said. I was also going to say that Reborn in Darkness is probably also also up there. Like, if it's not our 11th card to cut, it's like barely holding on to that 10th slot. I actually really so, don't. I really don't hate Reborn in Darkness um, with the, uh, I guess, with the hold uh, game plan, um, because we can always prep a cover. Or, you know, mm -hmm. we can always prep an objective into cover uh, for, for use for this um, to help us secure Conquer Domain, Path to Victory, or even just get us uh, up the field. 
Um, mm-hmm. So actually, I don't hate Reborn in Darkness. Um, you're kind of winning me over on it. Uh, Romy Witness, I just I really like that it can also be used for some really cheeky charged out play. Um, so like you might think that you know, you're maybe next to my leader, but you're like, oh, you still got one to charge. Nah. It's like, yeah, but it's a chain rasp and I'm actually just going to edge hex him right now um, so that I can just smack you again with my leader. Um, and I don't hate that. Yeah. But do you mm-hmm. still think it's stronger than the other 11? Uh, than the other 11? Um, I think than any of the other 11, I should say. Well, so um, how many push do we have in here? So we have one, two, uh, a repositioning condemned step forward, and a extra move with hold them still. Oh my gosh! Okay, so we actually don't have also we have two push at this point. Two push, two reposition. Right, because we already cut commanding stride and um, uh, counter charge. So correct. Do I think it's stronger than the rest? Uh, just looking at our options here. Uh, what, what are you guys thinking? I mean, what what else is uh currently up for for maybes for cuts? So I, I personally, I was thinking roaming witness and was hesitating on reborn in darkness, but you kind of talked me back into it. Okay. Um. So I'm willing to. Uh, cut roaming witness to keep reborn because I just think it works better with our our current game plan. Okay, I like both, um, but you, you know sometimes it's the the hard choices at this point. All right, now we've got the house cat. So I, I guess I thought about it. So a lot of these reposition uh-huh. things kind of work like a push almost, right? So that's mm-hmm. sort of where I was actually coming from. In that we have a lot of things for moving slash fighters which is where i was kind of like oh we could probably cut one um i do wonder if we need both inspired command and lethal advance okay cool i'm glad somebody else said it i was thinking the same thing i cut lethal advance yeah i would kind of cut lethal advance as well i do like that it's a double push but it's a double push towards an enemy fighter which means it maybe doesn't get you onto the token that you want yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I was forgetting about the closest, so I think yeah. that's the cut. And they're both leader restricted, so that's a little risky. Com- um, coming into cuts, lethal advance was my number <laughs> one cut, but I wanted to hear somebody else say it first. <laughs> so that's where my I would... eyes were hovering over scapegoat, but that's still my uh, like that's that's my damage, not the right choice. <laughs> I really, I really like scapegoat. I think I'd be. I'd be pretty hard pressed to get rid of that. I think it's a solid, it's both an accuracy piece and a utility piece. I like it. I say we get rid of lethal advance. Um, I think we have, so I kind of like having like five movement pieces in your gambits and then a couple accuracy boosts and a couple others. I think with a build like this for sure. Um, Um, So I, I actually like that where we kind of end up pretty well um just quick run this down we got inspired command which lets you push one or uh give a guard token if your leader is alive you have mirror move so we can react to push this can be crazy good um it can also end up being a frustrating card there's times where you can't use it but it's still solid partial resurrection get the fighter back reborn in darkness we're leaning into the resurrection stuff so we have it death soldiers just really good card Unexpected ally gives support. 
Um, important, as Skylar mentioned, it lasts until you get the successful attack. Uh, condemned step forward, it's confusion plus a condemn counter. Pretty solid when you're wanting to hold stuff. Hold them still, you get that extra move and um, just an extra move. Okay. Uh, scapegoat, we get to do a whole bunch of stuff with this one. We talked a lot about it. And then you must serve to get our other resurrection card in the gambit slot. I, I like where that lands. That gives us, a, I think, a set of cards that play very well into what we're trying to do in the objectives. I think it gives us a lot of utility pieces um, and some accuracy. Uh, the accuracy is not in plus dice like you would normally run, but I think it still works. Uh, so we now have upgrades. We um, So where I would start... Um, so we had Skylar's point of maybe we don't need both Glory Seeker and Great Strength. So we could lean into taking out Great Strength. I think that was already a maybe. And then, theoretically, we don't need two Great Fortitudes. I yeah, so that's actually one of those. where I would start is, um, let's cut the non-flavor non one. would actually disagree. Oh. So I think with the Resurrection tech that we have, being able to have two extra wounds into the mix to make an extra beefy fighter that either just got resurrected and is back in play or just making it that much more to chew through in order to have fighters off the board is going to be that much stronger with what we've built. I'm going to pitch back the question you asked me then. Um, is that stronger than all the other 11 objectives or uh, sorry upgrades. so i would say it is mm, 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 mm. i think it is for sure better than just great strength i would say having those two available is better than great strength for sure interesting interesting so i was going to make a argument uh that there's we didn't add draw tech um mm -hmm. and that's okay um but when you don't add draw tech you want consistency and options um so um i actually think that kind of leans towards uh keeping both glory seeker and great strength for your you know plus plus damage options um just because you might not see the one you know if we limit it to one it could end up in your bottom five and you might not see it, um, but you have a greater chance of getting one of the two, right? Um, given again that we're not going to be using draw tech to dig deeper uh, into our 20 cards. I see. So we have job satisfaction as a way to get guard tokens and we have mm -hmm. siege master as a way to get guard tokens and inspired command. And I'm willing to cut. Do we, do we, do we need all of, of those? I'm willing to cut. So I think Siege Master, I think. I actually disagree. I would say job satisfaction. I was gonna say the same thing because it doesn't require Siege Master doesn't require an attack action. And it's on multiple fighters. Yeah. Yeah. Job satisfaction no. is just the one fighter and only if they make an attack. I personally that's that's the one I'm seeing where I'm like, this is redundancy that we'd probably don't need. I agree. Actually, I would agree. Yeah. So job satisfaction sounds like we're in agreement is the so 12th cut. That is one cut, and then we need one more. 
Oh man, that was such a hard cut. I like that card so much just from a flavor standpoint. It's a fun <laughs> card. I think it's probably not actually as strong as it feels. I think it's better in an aggro build, actually. I think so too. Because then when you charge forward into you know the the mix, you can guard yourself up. Um so I think cackling nightmare is beyond touching at this point because we have so many because we have things that want dice results. I also oh. think there's just a lot of utility in having Cackling Nightmare right yeah. now. Um, yeah, I, I genuinely think that one's beyond touching. Yeah, because we can resurrect that fighter. Yep. Yeah, and I think it's just there's ways to use it to drive fighters back. You can add extra damage. Like, it's just good right now. I think with yeah, range us, three pew pews with us is, playing is, the, like, hold the middle game, Cackling Nightmare ends up being much better than I think... Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm still at either we cut one of the extra wounds or one of the extra damages. Personally, we technically cursed boarding pike is kind of an extra damage. Now, oh, right. cursed boarding pike certainly benefits from great strength, but it can benefit from glory seeker as well. I, I think cursed boarding pike stays in f- like over great strength or glory seeker. Simply because it's got more dice, and again, we have things that want more dice, digging yeah. for dice results. I think we cut great strength. Oh, snap. I think we cut it. Um, I would have cut fortitude here, personally. but I think you could go either way. My my yeah. personal thinking, though, is just that you, you're going to be putting fighters into danger because you have to be in the middle, and I just like having a few extra wounds for that. I also um, like the power of resurrection on it. It is decent with resurrection. I think there's arguments to be made that, it, you know, at least with your I think power card resurrections, you're going to vulnerable no matter what. So yeah, I'm yeah. I'm going back against my initial take. It's it's not enough that we have fighters that exist. We have to have fighters that can make other things not exist. Uh, we have path to victory, which requires a kill. We have Path of Death, uh-huh. which requires two kills. We have Superiority Confirmed, which requires at least one kill. I think, especially if we're going up against a Molog or Chunky-er fighter warbands, having that extra damage is going to help more than just existing. Okay. There it, there it is. I'm fine with either cut. I personally was leaning only because bearer of the block inspires to have extra damage i was like yeah he's probably gonna work um to give us yeah, that extra but damage that, but that in itself requires kills it does yeah i i'm fine with having more damage i, I don't think you can really ever have too much there's very few yeah. warbands where you can have too much damage um I think it ends up being a situation where we see what happens in games and it's kind of like, oh man, if I had just had one more wound, this could have made a difference. Right. Like I said, I'm fine with cutting either one. I think there's redundancy there and we don't need it. Um, so yeah, we can All cut right. Great Fort. Let's, let's pull Great Fort and call it a night. I yeah. really like those cuts. I think um, keeping Siege Master over job satisfaction is the right call there, especially since we didn't go aggro build. Yep. Um, yeah. No, it solid deck, guys. <sighs> I like it in theory. Took us a while to get there. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, as I mentioned at the top of this, these tend to go long. So 
there there is our deck we we built it out uh we will link it in the show notes um but i think that'll do it um coming up next we will be doing a bat rap with this war with this warband into something um to be determined but i think this should be fun uh this is probably not what brian would have voted for for this warband i would guess but um you know that's what happens when you're not here it's show up. <laughs> uh yeah so that's something you can look forward to um as always if you want to let us know why all the choices we made were totally horrible or if you want to let us know how you love this idea you can reach us at wthcast on twitter or what the at gmail.com um and if you'd like to check out any of the other content that we have or if you are listening to this and it's been out for a while and you're trying to find the follow-up episodes you can head on over to the mortalrealms.com and find all the other content for all of the shows in the mortal realms network uh Thanks, as always, to everybody in that network for all the great work they do. And thanks to GW for getting us preview copies. We've had this warband for what feels like an age now, even though they've not been out that terribly long, um, because we got to do some preview work for these guys. Uh, I do have a card for the Flavitext quiz, if you guys are ready to go for that. Let's do it. I'm excited. All right. So this is this is one that did not make it into the deck. I will give you that clue, and it is an objective. So narrows it down a little bit. Um, to cross Nagash by intent or failure is to tempt eternal twisted damnation. If it's not a kill surge, I don't know what it is. It is not a kill surge. It is not a kill surge. Well, then I don't know what it is. Okay. Oh man. Hmm. Would you run that by me one more time? To cross Nagash by intent or failure is to tempt eternal twisted damnation. Is that the triumph of death? It is not. Oh. It is judge lest ye be judged. Uh, uh, yeah. Perfect. Yes. All right. And then uh, for recommended listening, since we don't have Davey to do the amazing work that he always does in finding absolutely perfect songs for these things, I'm going to go with uh, one that I've always thought fit Death War Bands for whatever reason. And it could just be me and my own headcanon, but is Hail to the King by Avenged Sevenfold. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> uh, Josh proves. Uh, and that will do it for us tonight. Uh, I've been Phil. And I've been Skyler. And I've been Josh. Yeah, uh, so Jen, go you go ahead. You jump no, in first. You you go first. No, you okay, I'll go. So I'll be honest, I spaced out a little bit. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh sorry, this is a long one, Davey. <laughs> um Thanks, Davey. We love you. So here's here pushes are actually kind of an F let me let me back up a little bit. Davey, thanks for cutting out my uh, 
word vomit there. <laughs> uh, hello, bloopers. Yep. 